Mics are hot. hot. Can you see <laughs> yeah. me behind this? Thing? I can see like your eyes. That's pretty much it. <laughs> I know. I because like Justin was saying something like, "Why don't you just? Why don't you each get into like a blanket cave?" And I was like, "Well, we kind of have to see." But yeah, each other. I know. I, at least I see your eyes. Yeah, it's a little it bit better look, than anyone. I don't know. But anyway, I'm nervous for this episode. I feel Ladies. like we're gonna get into our first um, argument. Yeah, do we get into? Didn't someone tell us we don't get into enough arguments? Justin said that we don't disagree enough. Yeah, well, I'm not going to, like, throw chairs across the room or anything. I will. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, welcome, ladies and germs and people of all genders, to Ah uh, Real Films, a podcast about horror films hosted by two siblings who disagree and agree pretty frequently. I think it's like a 50-50 basis or so. I feel like so. we agree too often yeah i, know. Okay. I think we promised more disagreement yeah i think we mostly just make fun of each other but not really disagree <laughs> my name is curtis with a k i'm gonna go with that today and i'm top 10 taylor oh that's so good <laughs> damn it i'm so bad with these fake names as taylor gave away well i guess people have read the name of the episode so i guess there's no giving it away today is our top 10 episode and actually Thank you. I'm sure it is very loudly. Um, It's actually our last final regular episode doing it in person. I will be making. Abandoning me. I will be making. Abandoning me. A very, very big move to the big city of Tampa, Florida. (laughs) So going forward, um, except for we'll do some in person when we have family gatherings and things like that. But for the most part, we'll be doing this. Horror movie podcast slash last podcast. Oh my god! Did I? You're doing I a good job. A, Keep going. I just had a seizure. Keep going. Slash last podcast on the left style over Skype. So stop comparing our podcast to last podcast. Oh, I love those. You guys. know I don't like. I love one. those guys. Uh, oh, I love this argument. Thank you, producer Chanel, for pointing that out. <laughs> so yeah, well, this is our last in-person podcast, and we wanted to do our top tens in person because top tens are just really, really fun. And I think going forward, we probably will do our top 10 end of the years in person just because it'll be over the Christmas holiday and everything. Mm-hmm. So we'll make this a tradition going forward after I move to the City of Dreams, a.k.a. the Cigar City of Dreams, Tampa. Can I talk about my feelings for a minute? Please go for it. I'm going to miss you. Oh, thank you, Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel very sad that you're moving, but I'm uh, proud of you because you're moving because you got a big promotion and you're... Mm-hmm. At my real job. My, podcasting's like- not my top job, <laughs> folks. I'm sorry to reveal this to you, but... Um, I'll be holding down the... F- for, oh, have we ever revealed our last name on the podcast? There you. Uh, I'll be holding down the family fort. <laughs> <laughs> we have in, an obscure enough life. People don't know what you just said. Yeah, it's okay. In uh, Tallahassee, Florida, with our other producer, Natalie, mm-hmm. my younger sister. So yeah. Our younger sister. So, mm-hmm. But well, congratulations I'll, on your big move. Uh, most of our um, podcast listeners right now do live in Tallahassee, Florida, the Leon County area. Leon. Anyway, I will miss... So many people out of Tallahassee. I've really loved living in Tallahassee over the past 11 years. I'll really miss both of my sisters. Mostly um, me. I'm not making any judgments in public. <laughs> really looking forward to moving to the Cigar City of Dreams, Tampa. It won't affect our podcasting at all. I'm really excited to move forward. So yeah, hopefully the Skype thing works out pretty well. We haven't actually tested it yet. We haven't tested it yet. <laughs> but other podcasts do it, so why not us, extreme amateurs, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with absolutely no media experience. Also, I totally missed an opportunity to make a hilarious joke. Um, I was telling you before we podcasted that I was listening to the uh, podcast Good Morning Nancy, and one of the oh, yeah. podcasters reveal, I'm moving out west. To Buffalo. <laughs> and I cracked up and I was should have said, I'm moving down south 
to Tampa, which is literally <laughs> when you live in Florida, moving down south just means you're going to Florida, which yeah. hilarious joke didn't make the opportunity to make. The more you explain a joke, the more funny it becomes. So thank good you. job. Yeah. Thank you. Listeners, I'm sure you're dying right now. Fans. <laughs> thank you, fans. Well, I want to say, as we do every episode, what we are drinking today. Oh, please, please. We're getting kind of festive up in here. Yeah. But we have to get festive within a few boundaries because Curtis is, we believe, lactose intolerant. <laughs> Either lactose intolerant or he just has really nasty farts. And <laughs> I am... We'll cut that out, right? <laughs> I hope so. And um, I'm a vegan, in case you couldn't tell by my really annoying voice. Um, <laughs> and so we are drinking the new Baileys made with almond milk. Mm. It's actually... I think I had Baileys one time before I became a vegan and I didn't like it. This is actually this is really great. good. Yeah, and... Yeah. Um, we're drinking it straight right now because we are borderline alcoholics, but I would be interested to see what this tastes like in coffee. Uh, what was the other one that I suggested before we came on? You, I, you said I suggested cream soda. cream soda. I thought that'd be good. Yeah. I yeah. think there's a lot of I good I think it'd be good in hot this. chocolate too, Ooh, actually. Hot yeah. chocolate. Maybe, I'm getting a little crazy here, but chai tea, putting Ooh. this in chai tea would be really good. Oh, you said you wanted to mix it with horchata? Maybe? No, but it w- it's almost tastes like horchata, to be yeah, honest. Really but anyway, highly recommend I was really disappointed when I found out that rum chata wasn't vegan because I love rum chata. Oh, My best yeah. friend's mom introduced me to it. We had a good time that night when we were all yeah. drinking rum chata together so do you even remember a single second of that night me, or just my f- my best friend and my real best friend who's my best friend's mom vandy we had a great <laughs> night <laughs> well anyway yeah we're doing so we're doing our top 10s of 2018 yeah. today we've been mentioning on the podcast incessantly because we i love making lists i love making i lists. love making lists so i list things i list like MySpace was my dream because I love to oh, rank my friends. Of course, <laughs> I would make like a subtle change from like seven to six. If or someone something. pissed you off, you always had to. Bump yeah, them you down. have to bump them down. Mm-hmm. Oh, I miss doing that so much. <laughs> so we've been meant, we've been dropping hints that we would do this. Not even hints. We're just overtly saying on our top ten episode. <laughs> but we are so excited. This is like Christmas for me, essentially. Yeah. And, um I think <laughs> every year on the horror movie podcast, they uh, the host, Jay of the Dead, always talks about how much he spends like five straight minutes talking about how much he loves the top 10 episode. I'm like there. It's I think the reason why I think it's fun is because not only do you get to talk about movies that you loved, whereas oh. I would say in our episodes, I try to pick movies that I like, obviously, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't necessarily ever be like, this was the best of yeah. this or that. But in this episode, I get to talk about out of all the horror movies I've watched, these were my favorites. So that is exciting. Yeah. It's exciting to see like what other people like. I always love pe- hearing people's opinions about like their favorites this or their favorite that. Mm. And another thing is, too, I like to kind of reflect on the year I've had in terms of the movies I've watched and to think about the things that I want to uh, focus on going into the future and the films I, w- I would like to see in the future. So yeah, that's that has been my big excitement with the year and some of the films I saw on this list when I first watched them, I got so into like reading reviews about them and reading yeah. people's opinions about them. So to be able to rehash that is really fun for me. I'm really excited too. One of the things I love about top 10 lists and listening to other people's top 10 lists is finding out about stuff I had no idea about. And yeah. like when you find out about a movie you've never heard of and you're like, whoa, this was num- this person's number four. I got to check. That. That's yeah. the well, film that we was... talked about on our last episode. Better watch out. Yeah. I heard that on a few top 10 lists last year. I'm like, what? How did I not hear about this? I will How did say, I not check it out? And I will say, speaking of horror movies, movie podcast last year jay of the dead's top pick which should have been get out everyone should have been get out but his was the killing ground which was one of it wasn't my top 
movie of 2018, obviously, because it came out in 2017. But it was one of my favorite films that we watched this year. Yeah, it's very it's good. It's very intense. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I'm just really excited. What did you think about this year's slate of horror films, especially as it compared 2016, especially, but 2017 too, had such a strong slate of horror films. I mean, 2016 alone had Train to Busan, Green Room, The Wailing, uh, The Witch. I mean, it was bursting with like classics mm-hmm. 2017 had get out yeah. and plus a bunch of other awesome films Two, 2017 had get out and some other films. yeah <laughs> yeah get out really i mean so talking a little bit my, about my list the, the, my number one film this year would have been the greatest horror film i have watched of the past 10 years if it wasn't for get out because that's how good get out was but for me so the greatest horror film of the aughts 2000 is uh 2008's house of the devil that movie Uh-oh. blows me away and it like I have like a Mount Rushmore. It's right below that Mount Rushmore. I love that film. Yeah, Get Out blew me away yeah. almost that that almost that much. And the film, my number one film this year, was like at that level. I thought it was incredible. I loved a lot of films that came out in 2018 this year. But I think like last year, as opposed to 2016 and 2015, when uh, you know it follows among other films came out. I thought 2015 and 2016. I can look at like three or four movies and be like, is this my top one? Is this my top one? Last year with Get Out and this year with, you know, which I'll say, I thought like automatically, this is my number one. It never changed. I feel the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way with my top one. And I will say, I obviously part of this is due to the fact that we now have a horror movie podcast. Yeah. 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 But this year it was almost overwhelming and we will have a segment on (laughs) movies I missed, which Mm -hmm. are horror movies that we didn't get around to that we wanted to see. Mine is so long. Like, yeah. I just feel like, I mean, we have full-time jobs, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we both have. Podcasting. Uh, We're full-time podcasters. <laughs> we both have full-time jobs. You know, we both, uh, Curtis has some extracurriculars that he does outside of podcasting. And I, uh, not to brag, but I volunteer. So, you You're know, an we actor. Have, and I you know, do some well. acting. So, we, you know, we do a lot of other things. And I, I just, this was one of the first times in my life where I was like, there's not enough hours in the day to watch all the movies I want to watch, to watch all the films I, or to watch all the TV shows I want to watch, to read all the books I want to read. So it was, it was a little overwhelming, but I will say going through my top 10 list, just a really great year for horror films and like a great year to really start honing in on the type of themes I like. Cause I, you know, when I first started getting into horror films, I was kind of busy going through the classics and going through what was popular in the day. And I feel like I'm finally at a point where I've seen most of the classics. Mm -hmm. I've seen all of the big box office, you know, horror films. And now I'm finally starting to get into the subgenres I like and the types of styles I want to get into and the directors I want to support. So I I feel like I'm at that same place as well. And one thing that has been, you know, obviously, you know, I'm there's so many things I didn't get to this year, but one thing that has really changed my life a lot in the past when I would um, watch films um, and make my list and things like that, unless a movie, so like last year's Get Out, like obviously you have to see Get Out, but a lot of the films that I really liked last year were limited to like Netflix, Amazon Prime. This year, I watched every single movie that came out in theaters because of Movie Pass and then AMC Movie Pass because I don't have to pay 15 mm-hmm. bucks every single time I want to see a movie. And that has been such a boon and such like something that happened in 2018 that really was such an incredible thing to happen to me this year. I was able to see good or bad, mostly bad, but good (laughs) or bad. I was able to see every horror film. I'll say the same thing. I didn't have a positive 
experience with movie pass and in fact i actually finally canceled it today i'm gonna <sighs> be getting God. i'm gonna be getting to amc pass but i'll say the same thing about finally getting a shutter subscription oh yes and about finally um I got a new job. I got a little bit of a raise and I, I decided to start and I decided to pick movies that I wanted to see, even if they cost a little bit of money. Whereas before I would mostly just watch, watch films that were like free on, on Netflix. I mean, all that to say, this was one of the first years that I wasn't restricted like financially by the type of films I wanted to see. And I was actually able to watch films that would cost a little bit of money and not Mm -hmm. just watch films that were free on Netflix or free on Amazon prime. Um, and that's how I got to, I, I, there's actually three films on my list that uh, probably wouldn't be there if I hadn't been able to purchase them, which yeah. is great. And I, and I want to financially support the filmmakers, filmmakers. I like. Absolutely. Yeah. I would say for me, I'm just counting them right now. I would say of, of the films on my list, only two of them I watched for quote unquote free with a Netflix subscription or anything like that. The other ones I was able to either go to the theaters or purchase them on Amazon Prime Ooh. or something of that nature. I just realized know. that only two of mine were, were net, yeah. Netflix. Yeah, yeah so. same same here. Yep. So, so I will say, I mean, and that's kind of a privilege too, and I don't know if all of our uh, listeners necessarily have a Shutter subscription or are able to like get Amazon Movie Pass or whatever, but mm-hmm. at the same time, the films that I'm going to discuss, at least, I think are definitely worth it if you do have a little bit of disposable income. Yeah, so. and but also, I, I only have two films on my top ten list, but I'm going to talk about a lot of other movies that also are free on, like, Netflix, Amazon, things like that. Should it was we a get great... started? I'm excited. Yeah, Let's I'm jump sorry. into it. This has been a great year for horror films, though, overall. Yeah. Um, so, I've been really enjoying it. So, I get to start on my top ten. Chris so, gets to go first. I'm excited! My, I'm so excited! Okay. My <laughs> So, my first choice, I'll kind of give you a little background on my list. My number one, my number two have been the same since I watched those films. They, okay. just, they have not changed. Actually, me as well. Yeah. My, so, my number one and my number two, I've always been like, this is my number one, this is my number two. My number three, yeah. I watched later in the year. As soon as I watched it, it was my number three. Everything else after that, up to maybe like eight, were kind of like I was playing with a little bit. I had to, It was upon reflection that I was able to set them. Number nine and number ten, I kind of struggled with because there's a lot of films in there where I'm like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So do you do you want to do our honorable mentions real quick? I'll just kind of go th- quickly through uh, five films that okay. honorable mentions. Okay, and I'll do my – do you yeah. want me to – okay. Yeah, yeah, and then you can do your honorable mentions. These are five films that are I wanted to mention because I considered them for my list. First is uh, Mom and Dad, okay. uh, which is the Nicolas Cage film that came out earlier in the year. I know it was much maligned. I really enjoyed it. Second was Revenge, which we talked about two podcasts ago, which you had seen for the first time. I didn't want to put it on my list because I didn't know how I felt about it, like, I guess, politically and socially, but I really enjoyed that film. Um, the third one is one of the first horror films I watched this whole year is The Ritual, a Netflix oh, okay. original. Yeah. This is a kind of like Blair Witch, but not found footage involving kind of like a Norse creature. Um, I highly recommend people that have Netflix accounts I to enjoyed check that. this yeah, out. Yeah, it didn't make it onto my top 10 or into my honorable mentions, but I still really enjoyed that film. It ended up not, I also watched it towards the beginning of the year mm-hmm. and it as the year went on, I was like, eh, yeah, eh, it kind of, eh, you know, on ref- this was one of those movies where I watched. It, I was like, oh, this is awesome, but kind yeah. of on reflection, like, oh, the monster looked dumb. The guys were kind of stupid. Not that even movie, that. But... I just was like, upon reflect, I was like, I didn't think it was that special. Yeah, you know what I, mean? I thought it was yeah. great though, and yeah. I, I considered I it for it. number ten, but eventually it, it lost out to my mm-hmm. current number ten. 
my last two honorable mentions. One is uh, Strangers Pray at Night, the, the strange sequel okay. to Strangers. <laughs> I know you didn't see it. I watched it with producer Chanel. Um, it was really fun, really great slasher slash home invasion. There's one scene in particular in this movie that's set. Anyone who's seen it will know what I'm talking about. It's set at a pool. It's phenomenal. It's one of the best horror scenes all year. It's so kinetic and fast-paced and crazy. I love it. And then my final honorable mention, which – and I'm kind of going in order with these. So this is like my number 11. This is the one I most consider for my okay. list. And I ultimately – it just wasn't horror enough for me. It's the movie Upgrade. Did you see that film? I didn't end up seeing it, but I remember you discussed so it. So it kind of – more of a sci-fi film than a horror film. So that's ultimately – I was like, you know what? I'll always uh, do like an honorable mention of it. And that was one I saw in theaters as well. I haven't seen it on any streaming services, but um, I thought it was just really, really compelling. I well, think eventually it'll be available on VOD, I yeah, have to imagine. Yeah. yeah. So, or, or maybe Redbox or something. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, those are my five honorable mentions. What are yours? Okay. I'm also going to go in descending order. So the last movie I'll talk about will be the one that uh, was actually on my top 10 until I made my list finally yesterday. Mm-hmm. So my first one is Satan's Slaves by Yoko Anwar, which is an Indonesian horror film that Chris and I watched over the Thanksgiving break. I will say I would like to revisit this film because I was quite quite tired when we watched it. (laughs) I feel a little bad because I I do feel like I was half paying attention and I do think there were some um, really great themes in that film. And there were a lot of really scary moments, but to me, just didn't stick with me super well, but I did enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And I would suggest people check it out. My next one we've talked about before is actually Annihilation, directed by mm-hmm. Alex Garland, which I put on my honorable mentions because it's, I wouldn't say it's exactly a horror film, but if it had leaned more horror, it would have definitely been in my top yeah, 10. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, next film, the same. I know you didn't enjoy it as much, but The Endless by Justin yeah. Benson and Aaron Moorhead. Again, this would be top 10 material for me if it had leaned a little bit more horror, yeah. and that's why it's an honorable mention. Next is Revenge, which you just said by Coralie Farge. Is it the yeah. same deal? You just like don't know how you feel about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I. It was originally as high as my number eight. I think originally for me it got as high as number nine, mm-hmm. and just when I looked at kind of the other horror films of the year, I ultimately fell down on. I don't think this is the type of film I want to continue to support, regardless of there being a female director totally understand. just not the genre i am particularly interested in mm-hmm. that being said loved the acting as we talked about in our last episode a bright horror film which mm-hmm. i appreciate mm-hmm. lots of colors and it like is that. scary it's i think very especially scary, yeah. i mean it was scary as a man i can only imagine as yeah. a woman what it's but like. like the way it was scary as a woman was not necessarily a space i want to live in yeah, <laughs> you I know understand. and then my uh last honorable mention which would be kind of my 11 number 11 is cargo by okay. ben howling and yolanda romke i really liked this film i don't love zombie films which probably detracted for it for me um, and it wasn't very scary, which mm-hmm. also detracted uh, for it for me. But I loved the acting. I loved the um, subplot, which was I, I kind of was thinking about it. I think this might be the first horror film I've ever seen with a positive portrayal of Aboriginal or Native mm-hmm. people, which I think is important and is something I totally want agree. to continue to support. But I ended up being like, okay, well, it can't be in my top 10 just for that reason alone. Yeah. I, I mean, ultimately, you know. I, I did watch that film and I appreciated it, but. I just wasn't entertained by it. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was I felt, very entertained by it. I yeah. liked it and I 
if I recall correctly, and it's been a while since I watched it, it did make me tear up at a few points. <laughs> it was very yeah. emotional and touching. Yeah. And I um, think it's that's another one that's free on Netflix as well. Yeah. I think it's a Netflix original, if I'm not mistaken. I think, uh, I don't know if it was made by Netflix, but I think it was exclusively streaming on yeah. Netflix. Yeah, there's a little bit of a distinction there, so. As we're wrapping up our honorable mentions, I'm remembering, because there's always some debate about what comes out in 2018. If it premieres yeah. at festivals in 2017, or if it's a foreign film, we're extremely liberal when yeah. it comes to this, so... If it came out in 2018 in any fashion and we watched it in 2018, you can get angry at us. I don't think there's any controversial movies on my list when it comes to that. I but... have I have two movies that uh, came out in foreign markets in 2017, but weren't if, if they weren't available in the United States until 2018, I consider yeah. that a 2018 film because how was I, as an American, supposed yeah. to watch it in 2017? Like, how could it make my 2017 list? If I think I that's watch totally it? fine. And we're I, not as an American. Yeah. Number one importance. Can yeah, I watch it? To be <laughs> but I yeah, know. so that's kind of how we broke out. Because as I discussed, I think with The Endless, that mm-hmm. was considered a 2017 yeah. film, I think because it was in a festival in 2017, but it wasn't available to stream until 2018. Yeah. So. so we're going to be, you know, if you have any quibbles about it, you know. Sorry. Email us. Yeah, send email us a DM. Us. Yeah, rate and review. <laughs> so anyway, I'm going to start then. Ooh, My number 10 is a film... That you mentioned your honorable mentions, Annihilation. Oh, So this film squeaked in at the last minute. (laughs) It's been on my honorable mentions all year. And then it was between Annihilation, Strangers Pray at Night, and Upgrade. And I was like, well, which is the one that scared me the most? I'm thinking about, like, all these things. Which is the one that scared me the most? It was Annihilation. Very widely released, getting a lot of buzz at the end of the year. Um, One thing that was really cool is that uh, the writer of the book that this film was based on, he actually watched the premiere in Tallahassee. He's from from Tallahassee. Tallahassee. The um, film is based on the St. Mark's area, which is south of Tallahassee. So um, the lusciousness of this film, like the swampy, this is all things that you and I are familiar with. So that was the first thing that I was really into with this movie. But the second thing was like, I'm a big fan of like Lovecraftian weird horror. Mm-hmm. This movie was so weird. And, you know, we talk a lot about how a movie will like you'll be interested and then it'll peter out. This movie got stronger and stronger as it went on. I, thought. I agree. I think the ending like it only gets better as it goes on. And then like at the end, you're so confused and disoriented by the events that are happening. And there's, of course, the great like alien dance that happens at the end of the film of the green man Mm -hmm. and you know you're watching it and you're like what the fuck is going on in this movie and you know i know this is more of a sci-fi film kind of like i talked about with upgrade this is more of a sci-fi film than a horror film but again i was thinking like what scared me the most it was annihilation and i think I think this is a horror film. It scared me. It has like the sort of the horror tropes to it. There's the scene with the bear, of course, that is like terrifying. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I just thought this movie kind of captured that sense of weirdness more than any other horror film this year. I think The Endless was the only other one that kind of really came close to that. Um, but I thought this film was much stronger than The Endless personally. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's my number 10, Annihilation. I really liked Annihilation as well, and I think Natalie Portman is... Oh, she's excellent. She's yeah, excellent. She's amazing. This is her best role since uh, Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, Natalie. I know you're listening. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I'll do my number 10, which is uh, Cold Hell, which is mm-hmm. a Austrian film in German. It's Die Hola, uh, directed by Stefan Ruzowitzki, starring Violetta Shurawillo, and uh, it's currently a Shutter exclusive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talked about this a few episodes ago, and I said how I wasn't sure 
um, if it would make my top 10 just because I didn't know how horror it was. I'm, so I'm actually really glad to hear that you also chose yeah. a horror adjacent film for your top, uh, you know, for your 10th slot. This, I would say, is horror slash thriller slash kind of like crime movie mm-hmm. about a woman who witnesses a murder and the cat, cat and mouse that happens between her and the murderer afterwards. I really liked this film. Uh, it's a short just like punch to the gut type of film. I'm actually not someone who normally loves films with female heroines who are like, have to be like really strong and like really physically aggressive in order to be um, the hero of the film. But what I liked about this woman who was the hero of the film is that she has like a very interesting backstory and she's like a very complicated woman in addition to the fact that she like fucking kicks ass the whole movie. It's just a really entertaining, really fun ride. I Definitely see myself watching this again, like with other people. It's, I think it would be like a fun uh, party movie. But on the other hand, too, it has some it has some like messages, too, about like male like aggression on like women, because these the killer of the movie is killing Muslim women who are not what he deems to be as like purely religious and stuff like that. So it has some kind of like messages mm-hmm. to that effect as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's available on Shutter. Yeah. This is, I was about to say, this is like at the top of my shot. I haven't seen this film yet. This is um, definitely one of my like missed films, mm-hmm. uh, but it's definitely at the top of my shutter yeah. list after you watched it and raved about it. So, and again, it's not, I wouldn't say it's scary, but it is, it makes your heart pound yeah. type of thing. Like it doesn't make you feel really tense. It's I not think, something where afterwards I was like haunted by images from it, but it is like really gets your adrenaline pumping. I think, yeah. you know, along with being very liberal about the years of films, we're both pretty liberal about horror. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, anything that feels, it's kind of like pornography, right? <laughs> This is a very interesting subject to discuss with my sister, but you know it when you see it. That's how horror is, though. <laughs> oh, okay. I no, I wasn't going to go in a weird direction. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, no, I would agree because I, I was noticing this when I, I looked up all of the films on my list to be able to say the director and like who they starred and get all that kind of information. I noticed for only two of them was the genre li- actually listed as horror. Mm. It was like thriller suspense. Of course. And it just reminded it's so me of annoying. like, yeah, it's like, this is a horror movie, <laughs> I know, you know, I but know. I, I'm someone who's very loose, I think, with the horror term. I feel like, as I said in our Halloween episode, I don't think that horror is something that necessarily needs to scare you. Mm-hmm. I think it just, you know, when you see it, I think that's yeah. a good explanation. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm definitely going to check that one out very, very soon. Um, so number nine for me is the, the Netflix exclusive. Apostle, which is a film directed by Gareth Evans, who is most well known for doing the Raid films mm-hmm. based on, gosh, I don't have it in my notes, but it's based on like an Indonesian style of martial arts. So he's better known as kind of like a martial arts film person. I've never personally seen the Raid. I've been recommended it multiple times. But the Apostle is about a man who is kind of a part of like the arist- the British aristocracy. Uh, it's never said the British, but I'm pretty sure he's British. But mm-hmm. They're all British. They're all British in the film. Yes, exactly. So maybe uh, maybe want to use some subtitles in this one for the thick British accents. Anyway, um, so (laughs) he's a part of the British aristocracy and his sister is kidnapped by a cult for a ransom. So he goes to this island that the cult is at and is trying to figure out where the hell his sister is and kind of gets involved in the cult activities. And, um, you know, I am not going to kind of go any farther than that because this is a great uh, twist film. If you don't know what's going the less you know about this film going in, the better. And the things I really, really liked about this film is 
it's not at the level of my previous film Annihilation, but this film is very, very weird. A lot of the imagery is very like off-putting and unsettling. And the setting is really, really unsettling as well. They're on this barren island. This cult is on this barren island. It's just the members of the cult. There's like these weird, you know, structures that they've built for themselves based on the religion. And this guy is just here out from like normal society trying to navigate all of this. And at the beginning of the film, that's kind of the scary part about this film is this guy trying to navigate this cult and trying to like not blow his cover. And then, you know, sort of when his quote unquote, his covers, but that's a spoiler. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. it has to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you get some of more of the traditional horror aspects. And this movie does get very, very gruesome at parts. There's a lot mm-hmm. of blood and gore at parts. Yeah. And I think this has almost been the year of the cult horror movie. There's been a lot of cults uh, this Love year. Love a cult movie. I've said it, it once, I've said it a million it, times. <laughs> and this one kind of mixes the cult movie with kind of like traditional gore slasher type horror. And I just thought it did it really well. It's a little long at two hours and 15 minutes. That was my only gripe with it. But I thought it blended to the cult slow move. There was like at the beginning of the film, it's pretty slow moving and deliberate and creepy. And then it ratchets up. And it's like this, the last third of the movie. And I thought it yeah. just did that really seamlessly and really well. And I just really like this film. Yeah. It has good timing, I would say. Yeah. And I, I also think it was a bit long. But as I said in my review of it, I think during our Halloween episode. When I first sat down to watch it, I said, oh, I'll just watch this in two sittings. But then I couldn't stop mm-hmm. watching it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess to me it wasn't too long. No, I, I, I can see, you know, I can see especially more impatient horror fans, like, you know, used to the hour and a half long movie, maybe getting a little impatient with it. But once it ratchets up, it really ratchets up. But anyway, yeah, True. my number nine is The Apostle. Yeah. And that's available for free. If you have Netflix, it's a Netflix exclusive. Well, I'm excited because my number nine is also a Netflix exclusive film. I believe it was not made by Netflix, but is only available on Netflix called Cam. Ooh, just watch this. I literally just watched this, I think, like three nights ago. And Mm. I was like, oh, this is going to be in the top ten. It's an American film that is directed by Daniel Goldhaber, a screenplay by Issa Mazay, and it's starring Madeline Brewer, who I know from Handmaid's Tale, she was the woman without the eye. She was also an. She was naughty and got her eye taken out. <laughs> yeah, well, she was also in Orange Is the New Black, uh, which our producer Chanel was very into. So I saw her. I yeah. recognized her from that, from you know the binge watching of Orange Is the New Black. Unfortunately, I wish that us talking about Cam was not happening for the first time on our top ten episode, where we're trying to kind of clip the episode along because there are so many things I want to talk about with Cam. Mm-hmm. I absolutely loved this film. The only reason it was at kind of the relatively low ranking of number. Number nine is that I felt like the central storyline didn't have a very satisfying resolution. Mm-hmm. It's about a cam girl who um, gets her identity stolen. So basically, she does these like really cool, really interesting uh, shows. Kind of fucked very up. interesting, yeah. Kind yeah. of fucked up shows where she like pretends to commit suicide or sorry she pretends to die by suicide on camera and uh she has this one show where she is like using a very powerful sex toy and after that uh show she realizes that she's locked out of her account but that her account is still live and is still showing a stream of hers that she does not recognize so she knows like she knows it's not just like an old show for Mm -hmm. instance and so her identity has been stolen. It's her trying to figure out what's happened and all this kind of stuff. It's a great mystery as well as it a is, horror film. Yeah. yeah. And that's why it's my, only my number nine because you're like, this is a great mystery. This is a great setup. And I just feel like the resolution is not super satisfying. But mm. I want to focus on the things that I do like, which is that, first of all, it's written by somebody who used to be a cam yes. girl. And I know 
I know maybe I sound a little bit like a broken record in terms of like representation, but if you think about the way that like sex workers have been portrayed in media, it has not been great. It's and universally bad, pretty much. This is the only film I can think of where sex workers are portrayed in a positive light. Not only that, but it's just like a fact of like, this is her job. Something terrible has happened to her, but it's not because she's a sex worker. It's because like, basically because she's just on the internet. The horror of this film to me is that this could happen to any of us. Yeah. You know, like yeah, my Facebook, identity. my Facebook, you know, profile could be taken over. And, mm-hmm. um, but the real horror of this is like, this is her livelihood and she's really ambitious. She's like wanted to crack the top 50 cam girls on like the website, you know, that she performs on and stuff like that so i really like that i think it's like a really interesting look into like a world that many of us don't know a lot about Mm -hmm. you know i like that this is just portrayed as kind of just like a normal Mm -hmm. natural thing uh for her to be doing i think madeline brewer as the main character is excellent phenomenal yeah she's excellent i mean she's she's pretty much carries the movie she's the focal point of every single she's so likable as the character and multiple times throughout the film i was like oh like she's really cool i would love to be her yeah. i would love to be friends with her and the way she yeah. interacts with like i guess you call them her patrons i, I don't yeah. you know i don't know what her fans her fans yeah <laughs> is so like like i the way i thought about this film before i watched it like my thought would be oh the way she interacts with her fans is like she's like fake on camera and then it's like oh that gross but she's so genuinely herself when she's with her fans and never talks shit about yeah I mean, it, you could tell there's like a sense of authenticity to this film because it's written I by think, someone who was yes, in that industry. Exactly. I think there were parts of the film where it's very clear this was written by someone who had actually been in that industry. And I liked it, too, because it is relatable. Even if you haven't worked in the sex industry. I mean, I was a server for many years. Mm-hmm. And I will say, like, I recognize some of that, like the relationship I would, for instance, have with my regulars, which is that obviously you're extra nice to them because they will give you more money if you mm-hmm. are extra nice to them. But you, you, it's not like you hate yeah. them, you know? And I, I mean, they're giving yeah. you money. I mean, yeah. you know, at the very least, there's that basic relationship where right. it's like, well, I'm thankful for this person because, you know, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And, and to kind of build off of that, part of the movie is that uh, her name is Lola. Well, that's her cam name is mm-hmm. Lola. And that's kind of how you know her throughout a lot of the movie. She starts to suspect at various points different people kind of in her circle, like two fans and then like another cam girl. And it kind of like starts to, you know, like how much can she trust her fans and all this kind of stuff. So I like that. Also, as we mentioned in the previous episode, it's a very bright film. Mm -hmm. It has like a lot of fun colors. And it's just like, to me, it's like just a really refreshing, interesting film. Well, my um interesting uh because my number eight is cam Ooh. Uh, so, <laughs> um i won't talk too much more about it but one thing i did want to hit on is i mean the horror aspect so you kind of touched on it a little bit when you were talking about the film when she starts suspecting other of her colleagues and like so there are creepy men in this film i, mm-hmm. I don't mean to say like i think it's really refreshing the way she interacts with her fans and, and i would like, also like to say like the sex work industry would not exist if there weren't a demand absolutely you know, for sex work yeah. and i also personally like don't think there's anything wrong for instance with you know watching porn or like purchasing legal and consensual sex work and so i don't think by definition her fans they're are not creepy. inherently creepy yeah, like, but I, yeah. it, it does make clear that there is that element of the film and i think the way she handles it is at once like interesting but also a little disarming because like you realize like oh this is like kind of the hazards of the job she has Mm -hmm. to deal with this creep 
right. like in order to make money. And every and job that, has hazards, and that's exactly. the hazards of her job. And I thought that was just it, – it's such a refreshing movie. You don't – I've never seen a film like this that explores like being a cam girl, mm-hmm. for example. And I wanted to give a shout-out to my friend Nick Dorella who told me about this film. I wouldn't have watched this film if it okay. wasn't for him because I, I watched it literally last week. It's the most recent film on my list. Uh, that I've watched. But yeah, it's, it's just a very like honest, authentic film. And a lot of the horror comes from stuff. It probably is reflective in reality, you mm-hmm. know, like stolen identity on the internet. Like, you know, for people who are sex workers, like dealing with fans who are just, again, not inherently creepy, but the ones who take it like that too push far. The boundaries. That push she, the boundaries. I think what's really great about Lola is that she very much sees this as a job and she has like three rules mm-hmm. that she has. You know, she has boundaries, and it's when the fans cross those boundaries. That's part of the horror element. Her identity identity being sto- stolen is part of the horror element. And then at the kind of the end of the film, which I don't love, yeah. but, you know, the end of the film, kind of what she does to get her identity back, that has some, like, creepy moments in yeah. it, too. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, Cam is great. And yeah. um, another one, again, free on Netflix would highly encourage people to watch really quick film hour and a half really quick and and totally engaging I loved it and I I didn't anticipate like I was trying to cram some movies at the end of the year and this is the only one of like the dozen or so movies I've watched in the past two weeks that made the list so I I did wasn't anticipating it and I really really enjoyed it again funny you say that because my next film is another crammed in horror film that still made my top 10 which is November Oh, I haven't watched this one. An Estonian film that is available on Shudder. It's directed and written by Rainier Sarney and starring Ria Lest and Jorgen Leek. It's a... You did a lot of work pronouncing those names correctly, and I think you did it. So very good job. It's Estonian. I mean, we're (laughs) Polish. There's, Uh, you know, cousins. (laughs) This film is about a peasant girl who falls in love, like, with a peasant boy he is in turn in love with the Baroness's daughter. The Baron, by the way, is played by the scientist from The Human Centipede, the number oh, one. Oh, hell yes. Hells yeah. yeah. I was like, <laughs> that was a this fun better day. not ruin this guy's career because he's great. In yeah, this. he was. Um, so he doesn't have a huge part in November. But <laughs> this is a really interesting movie because it's basically about um, the girl who is, again, played by Rhea Lest. She tries to win. His name is Hans. She tries to win... Because, of, of course, yeah. Eastern European, his name has to be Hans, yeah. of course. <laughs> she tries to win his affection, and this is a world in which, like, magic exists, and everyone kind of accepts it. There's, like, these creatures, I don't actually remember their names, but there's, like, these creatures that walk around that, like, help people with chores and stuff, and they're not humans, and they're not animals, but everyone just kind of accepts them. So she tries to win Hans's affection, and she goes to the local witch, and the witch was like, well, you could just kill the baroness's daughter and she tries to do it but she can't and you know um and hans meanwhile has his own like creature that he turns into it's a snowman that he turns into like his like helper essentially and this helper is trying to give him advice on how to like win the baroness's affection and it's just like a really weird it's hard to explain it i read other reviews that were like it doesn't have a very solid plot it's more about just the atmosphere and the emotion and what i really liked about it is that i love atmospheric movies i love movies that are more interested in trying to like put you in the mindset of the director and the mindset of the logic of that film and i think this is a really good example of that it's beautiful it's shot in black and white has beautiful shots and it just kind of it was scary to me in the sense that it had frightening imagery it puts you in the shoes of um less's character and and what she was experiencing and 
I don't know. I just thought it was a really cool, interesting film. I really enjoyed it. Um, I think it's something I would like to revisit. In the and it's as well. available for free on. Sh- well, I say for free. These are also subscription services, but it's yeah. available on Shutter, correct? Yep. I yeah. think it's exclusively available on Shutter. I read it was actually Estonia's. Uh, no, uh, it was Estonia's. What's the word I'm looking for? Nomination. Yeah, it was uh, their entry for entry. the uh, best foreign language film of the year for the Oscars, but it wasn't nominated. But uh, it is really high quality, really gorgeously shot, and it has like a lot of really has a lot of interesting subplots too that all kind of work together. And it's more just about kind of like the daily lives of this village and the the magic that they live with every day. Okay, I'll, that is after I watch. Oh my god. I think we've been drinking a little bit too much. What was your number 10 again? That's two. I basically. Cold hell. Yeah. <laughs> basically, what I'm trying to say is now I have two films on Shutter I need to watch, yeah. which I'm very excited to dig into that more. Now, um, my number seven, now we're getting into the territory seven through four, where I had to think very hard to kind of break down where my positions are. So a lot of these films are, are very close in quality. But again, I just had to, you know, put some real thought into how I want. So you can essentially think of it as like, two tiers and then my three two one but um my number seven is a quiet place which i think everybody um you know is very familiar with directed by john krasinski and starring john krasinski and uh that that his his real life wife plays his wife yeah yeah, that's i thought that was fascinating but um i won't i won't go through the plot of this film i think uh, a lot of people listening to this are very aware basically you know this family is living in a post-apocalyptic society where there are creatures that will attack you if you make any noise. So you have to be extremely quiet. Um, and the film contains like literal, a few paragraphs of dialogue, mm-hmm. basically. Um, it's very, very like visual heavy. It's very quiet. Um, you know, and the reason that there's a great explanation for why this family is still alive because it's set, you know, a few years after the apocalypse happened. Uh, the family has a daughter who is deaf. Uh, and so they all speak American Sign Language and they're able to sign to communicate with each mm-hmm. other. And I thought that was... Very interesting. You know, it's a really great representation of deafness in film. I thought that was really, really cool. And the actress who plays the deaf daughter is actually is deaf. Is actually deaf. Yeah. I know. I mean, it was just really well done. And all of the actors and John Krasinski as the director actually learned American Sign Language. Yeah. yeah. I just thought, like, that is, like, really, really cool. I know we, we talked about uh, uh, Freaks uh, many, many months ago in our previous episode. But so I'm always cognizant of like films that are able to incorporate and talk intelligently about um, disabilities. I just thought this film, I've never been to a film in theater where you can hear like when someone's eating popcorn, mm-hmm. you're like, shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> I'm trying to watch this film. Like, stop eating popcorn, you idiot. Uh-huh. And usually even when you see like you could see most like serious like disturbing upsetting horror film you're still gonna have someone talking and making jokes during it you know it's just kind of the nature of a horror film i think people the way a lot of people react is to like make jokes or like to, to kind of cope with it and i always understand that like i've never you know there's been a few instances this year where i was a little pissed the mm-hmm. nun comes to mind there was a woman literally having a whole conversation about oh yeah her life during that whole film i was like shut the fuck up well i was actually you were sitting behind me and natalie so i didn't have as much well i was actually at, as the film played out i was like more listening to that conversation because i was getting <laughs> bored but this was a very unique unique theater experience i felt like and the slightest sound that they made in this film would scare you because of like the way it's set up and i just thought that was so interesting 
and so unique. And I feel I saw that Netflix is releasing a film where if you look at the monsters, they kill you. So you have to keep a blindfold on and stuff. And I just think oh, like okay. so that's 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 where we're going. With yeah, films but now, I, I guess <laughs> I, that just seems so stupid in comparison. I just think this is such a it's going to be so hard to replicate a film yeah. like this. It's such a unique well, idea. It, it's hard to replicate a film like this, and it's hard to replicate, I think, a film experience like this. Oh yeah, yeah. I can't I mean, ever imagine. I can't imagine ever seeing a film again that kind of replicates that movie going experience. Yeah, it was so unique. we were lucky that we had um, a pretty good audience because I've did. heard other people didn't have as great an audience experience as mm-hmm. us. The person sitting to the next or to the right of me went and got popcorn at the beginning of the film i was like oh they're gonna be a problem but then they were quiet really. yeah <laughs> quietly eating popcorn yeah. like, i know i felt bad for them because they were like i was like okay you can eat a little bit of popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. but yeah i you know if you haven't seen it i i can't imagine it has the same ex- i've never this only watched it once i watched it in theaters i can't imagine it's the same experiencing not watching it in theaters yeah but i would still encourage you to watch this film because of how unique it is yeah so anyway cool yeah number no, seven. great film um my number seven film is summer of 84 nice. uh a canadian film directed by francois simard anouk wiesel and Johan carl wiesel starring graham vercher and rich summer I think we talked about this film on the podcast. It's basically a film where a boy, he's probably 12 or 13. There are a bunch of other boys in his neighborhood who have gone missing. And he starts to, uh, actually they go missing and I think they turn up dead. And he starts to suspect that his next door neighbor is the serial killer. It's a period piece in the sense that it's set in the 80s. Aspects of that worked for me. Um, I thought that it was had a lot of really cool nods two 80s films i thought it was really fun in that sense other aspects of that didn't work for me i i think the 80s movie revival thing is starting to get a little played out um i'm getting a little a little tired of it but i think this is a good example of an homage that still has a unique thing to say um i really love films um about crime and about Mm -hmm. serial killers just personally and i think this did that in a really smart way rich summers as the next door neighbor who fantastic he he is in glow as well i think he's also in mad men yeah the television show he he is great because he has like a baby face Mm -hmm. but he can be creepy very easily and he he does that to the fullest extent here and the child actors in this film are very good yeah they're very believable i don't know what's going on with child actors like the past few years but like yeah there's been so many great films with child like quiet place great child actors i mean great great child actors and this film like maybe is the cream of the child acting crop this year yeah they did a really good job i think unfortunately this film might have been you know overshadowed by films like it which came out last year um and stranger in things, the stranger well. things. Yeah. yeah i unfortunately think this is one of those films that might be like lost to time so i really do encourage people to go see it because i found it very scary and I was, very compelling yes very i was compelling. very invested because the entire film you're like is this guy really a serial killer? i changed really i changed my mind yes. like five times oh he is oh he's not yeah. oh he is oh he's not he's yeah dumb and the film does a really good job at kind of like stringing you along like that and it puts you I find this really hard to do, but, it, you know, as an adult watching the film, it does really put you into the mindset of the children. Of the kids. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, it is such, like, a kid idea, like, yeah. oh, is it our neighbor? Let's yeah, investigate. Yeah. But then, you know, you keep thinking, well, maybe the kids are right. Oh, no, they're just kids. Like I said, it's just really yeah. smart. It's yeah. really intelligent in that 
I just, it really kept me engaged the whole time. I thought it was very entertaining and the acting was really great. And I also just wanted to mention it again on the podcast because I, again, for some reason, this film more so than any other film on my list, I feel like might be one of those films that's quickly forgotten and I don't want it to be. I think it's really good. I totally, totally agree. And when I was looking it up today, I saw I actually did not get great reviews. It's not the only film on my list that didn't get great reviews. (laughs) Um, But I've really tried to, in doing this podcast, kind of be someone who's comfortable in my own opinions. And to me, I think this is, I don't understand what is not to like about this film. Except for that, again, it's yet another 80s homage film. That's getting a little But I thought it did it well. It's not like, I didn't think it was heavy handed. It's just, I think like the idea of kids nowadays, and I don't really know too many kids nowadays, but the idea of kids nowadays, like investigating like a murder in the same way. Like, you know, I remember having my walkie talkies running around playing like, you know, manhunt. That's not like quite a movie that can be set in the 2000s. So I thought it was a very organic way to have this story. Okay. So yeah. I will yeah, say that's that. That's true. That's but, true. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, summer of 84 is great. I yep. agree. My, uh, number seven pick. So, um, yeah, no. So my number six, this, I'm anticipating this might be the most, my most controversial pick. Oh, um, I'm excited. It is Suspiria. <gasps> so, uh, the, the the remake of Suspiria, not the 1977 version. I know that came out in 1977, <laughs> but as everyone knows, uh, Suspiria was remade this year by Luca Guad. Oh, God, Guadagino. Guadagino, who made Call Me by Her Name the Oscar nominated. Oh, sorry, I didn't see it, so <laughs> I had to, it's it is what it is. Uh, the Oscar nominated film last year, um, and it's starring uh, Dakota Johnson and Tilda Swinton as three separate people in this film i mean yeah she's fantastic so <laughs> i have to say so i'm like a pretty open person when it comes to remakes like i've i've liked you know remakes get a lot of stick but i think if you do it right it can just i mean just my opinion about films is you just got to enjoy them on their terms like you don't come in with preconceived notions agree, like oh yeah. they're gonna make fr- remake friday the 13th that's fucked up like <laughs> what are they who do they think they are i mean my biggest complaint about this film would be maybe it didn't need to be called Suspiria because mm-hmm. honestly, it's really other than the fact that there are witches, it's really and, nothing. And, dance. and there's a dance school, yes. Yeah. <laughs> there's really no similarity with Suspiria. The colors in this film are so muted. It's a lot of browns and things like that. It's set during Cold War Berlin and like a really tumultuous period in I believe the nineteen seventies in Berlin. The acting in this film is like very grounded whereas in the original suspiria it's very like overly expressive and Mm -hmm. meant to kind of like be like set up in a dream state whereas this film is very very grounded i could this could have been called something different and i think it would have gotten a lot less shit for it because it's really nothing like the original suspiria it takes the ideas story ideas story which is the least important part about the original suspiria it takes that and that is really the only thing that is reproduced in this film i mean suspiria is I always talk about my Mount Rushmore. This is in my Mount Rushmore of horror films. Suspiria is one of my four favorite horror films of all time. And I loved this remake of Suspiria. First off, it is a horror film, period. There's blood. There's disturbing scenes. Like, there is just horrifying shit going on in this film, which I was, like, really skeptical. That was the thing I was most skeptical going in. Is this going to be a horror film or is it going to be an art film? I would have been fine if it's an art film, too, but I wouldn't be talking about it right now if it wasn't a horror film. It's horrifying. It's scary. The, I'm not sure what the the sort of like big picture themes are of this film. I need to watch it again to kind of figure out what it's trying to say. However, it's very clearly like 
very deliberately made and deliberately paced. So people who complained about the length of this film, this is a two and a half hour long movie. It's quite long, but I think people are off base because there are things that maybe could have been cut, but I, I overall I felt like it was very deliberately paced and very, very well done. But overall, I mean, the reason I included this film in my list and the reason why I thought it was so, so good, the horror aspects of it, there are some terrifying scenes in this film. And one early on that, you know, we're trying to be spoiler free for this top 10 so people can go out. But there's a scene early on where Dakota Johnson, who is the Susie Banyan in this film, she's going to the school to like learn how to dance. She's American. Um, She does her tryouts. And at the same time, they cut to a scene of like essentially one of the girls, Olga, being tortured. And it lasts longer than you or I would ever feel comfortable with. And it's so, so disturbing. And there's so many instances, like this film isn't constant horror, but there are scenes peppered in there that like are, that build this sense of dread in you until the climax of this film where like the shit goes down. And um, it just was an interesting film for me. You know, it's, is a horror film made by like, an art director where he kind of like pulls it off. I don't think the film is pretentious. Um, I think it's very, very like literal, very grounded. And I just really, really enjoyed it. And this is the one I thought about this for so long after I watched it. Did I like this? Did I not like this? And I think my memory of the old Suspiria was clouding me a little bit. So I had to like Mm -hmm. take it at its own terms. Yeah. Like on its own. Yeah. And I just think it's a really strong film. And just before I move on, this film has great dancing in it. There's a lot of I heard yeah that has like scenes. fun like Black Swan yeah dancing. It's very Black Swan esque. But um, well, unfortunately, this was one of the films on the movies I missed list mm-hmm. for me. I did try to go watch it after you had discussed it on the podcast, but it was no longer playing at any of the theaters in our area. And even yeah. when we went to Jacksonville for Thanksgiving, it wasn't available there either so yeah. i never caught it's it. not a movie yeah. that demands to be seen in theaters like the original i've still never seen the original suspiria in theaters and i feel like this amc i, need I know to you're see listening amc <laughs> regal i know you're listening oh, man i would love to see that film in theaters but this yeah. movie does not demand to be seen in theaters i don't believe because again it doesn't have the popping colors and the crazy ass camera work of the mm-hmm. original but i would highly recommend this film my number six is apostle which is a uh, British-American film, as you discussed, directed and written by Gareth Evans and starring Dan Stevens, Lucy Boynton, and Michael Sheen. Thank you for getting those uh, actors for me because I did not write any of that down. You have no notes. I'm struggling here. (laughs) Yeah, really. When I first watched Apostle, I was like, it's a good good film. Liked it. Yeah. Never imagined it would be my number six. But as I was kind of putting my list together, I realized that I kind of had a lot of things that I like about horror films that I like, which is that it had a lot of backstory. I felt like I had a lot of things to say and it said them very well. It had a beautiful setting and had really good acting. As I said earlier, when you were discussing it, I know it's a long film and I actually am also someone who is a little bit of a clock watcher. So I didn't expect this to be shout out to Jay of the dead. I didn't expect this to be, um, I didn't expect to be as, engaged as i was Mm -hmm. but the fact that i was i i think speaks to the quality of this film Mm -hmm. i think it has a good mix of goriness but also kind of like high-mindedness i think it has a lot to say about the lengths that we're willing to go to for our families Mm -hmm. and i as i said earlier i just love a cult cult film i think this is a good example of a cult film because the cult is creepy but you also understand like why people are there you know there is a good motivation for the community that they've built 
I, um, I, I would kind of compare that to The Endless a little bit, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought a lot of cult films don't do that. At, like, why are these people there? Why would you want... Like, I, exactly. I think of The Sacrament, Ty West, The Sacrament. If yeah. you've ever seen that, like, why the fuck are these people here? Like, why, yeah. why would you, like, abandon your families for this? But, okay, like, but I do love The Sacrament, but yeah. Oh, I love The Sacrament, but I always, I kept on thinking throughout that film, why would you... For this old dude like what is the point of this but um i thought this film and the endless were both like great cult films that came out this year we were like oh i get it like Mm -hmm. i see why they're why they're hanging out here yeah and again i think that acting in this film dan stevens i know from beauty and the beast oh nice he played the beast nice yeah and i when he is a beast yeah (laughs) (laughs) i just think he did a really good job i think he kind of pulls off the grittiness needed for this film in terms of the things that he's asked to do but he's also likable enough Mm -hmm. that you want him you know to succeed michael sheen as the cult leader fucking kills it he was the best aspect of this movie honestly i didn't discuss that but i thought he his acting was the best part of this movie yeah Yeah, because he the one thing i always wonder about cults and about like cult movies for the cult leader it's like don't you realize like what you're doing to these people? Like mm-hmm. you always, I guess kind of the humanity in you just starts to like wonder like, Hey, like you're fucking over these people's lives. Like, mm-hmm. and they believe in you so much and they're placing their trust in you so much. And you're doing these horrible things to them. And I think that his character in this film is kind of the only example I can think of, of a cult leader that really starts to kind of confront mm-hmm. like what, the impact that he's having on the people yeah. who've chosen to follow him. And I think to me that makes this like, there's a lot of cult movies that came out this year. A ton. I think that aspect of it is kind of why it bumped up so high for me. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I love The Apostle. And um, that's another one. I'm sure it'll be on rotation in the future when I'm thinking of films to watch with friends or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, loved Apostle. Yeah, moving on to number five. My number five Tough is, life. you already talked about it, Summer of 84. Oh, wow. I, that's pretty high. I I love to talk about haters on this podcast, as you know. When you I were, love haters. I love <laughs> To all my haters, I got so much more for you to hate in the future. I just want you to know that. But I cannot understand the hate for this film. Like, I, I understand there's been a it's the 80s thing is a little overdone. I thought it was so natural in this movie. Mm. Made so much sense for what this movie was trying to do and the story it was trying to tell. I And I thought the kid actors were great. The adult actors were great. The mystery of the film, the way you're thinking, like, what's going on here? Like, who should I believe? the deliberate pace of the film, the way that kids like find the clues and everything. The only thing keeping this from like the top, top tiers of my list was really some of the cliched aspects of the film felt a little bit like a Scooby-Doo episode every once in a while, but really that kind of added to the charm of the film. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. And it was, I think like maybe what I didn't mention too, is that like this movie's really fun. You it know? is fun. It yeah. was fun to watch. I felt like excited. While I yeah. Was my heart it. was racing. Yeah. And you know, the last 20, 30 minutes of this film are like intense mm-hmm. and just a, such a rush. Yeah. Again, this is one that I think can be easily overlooked and I would highly encourage people to watch it. It's my fifth favorite film of the year. And I, have very few bad things to say about it. I just loved it. So uh, from the moment I was watching it, I just loved this film. So sucks you right in. Sucks Sucks you right right in. in. Absolutely. So that's my number five. I can't believe we're in the top five already. I'm getting a little nervous. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What will people think of me when they know? (laughs) I really, as I was putting this list together, I think most with Apostle and Summer of 84, because they weren't as like highly rated. I was like, am I going to be judged? Look, the By haters can say what they listeners. want about us, all right? If you want to give us a one-star review because of this, please don't. Please give us a five-star <laughs> review. <laughs> um, but top five, 
So my number five I'm excited to talk about is Mandy. Oh, yeah. Mandy! A Canadian-American film directed by Panos... Cosmatos, which, oh, yeah. why isn't that my name? <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, starring, of course, Nicholas Cage. The incomparable Nicholas Cage. I love you, Nick Cage. Nick Cage, I, I know you. you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, Andrea Riseborough, which I just saw her in a film recently called Nancy, which mm-hmm. I really liked. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Nancy. And Linus Roach, who plays the cult leader. It is also, I wanted to point out, scored by Johan Johansson. I was just, I was actually looking at my phone just to look, because I yeah. wanted to shout out this music. I believe it was his last uh, it, score. So this, yeah, it was his last score, Johan Johansson. He's done a lot of work, but what I uh, most know him for is a film, one of my favorite films that has come out recently, which is not a horror film, but it's called Arrival. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. I love movie. Arrival. And I think... I believe he did um, Panos Cosmatos' other movie, Beyond the Black Rainbow, as well. I think he did the score for that film okay. as well. And, yeah. I, you know, we don't really talk a ton about music on this podcast because I, I don't really know that much about music. I don't really know too much about how, like, soundtracks play into films. But with Arrival and with Mandy, I think you really do... The music comes in at like very pivotal moments and it does kind of heighten your emotion with what is going on. And especially with Mandy, you know, we talked a little bit about Nick Cage's cage rage moments yeah, and about how intense he can be and stuff. But I liked the score in Mandy because it it kind of turned his intensity into something a little bit more poignant, I think, yes. than it otherwise would I've be. I've never seen a film with Nick Cage... So I I really love like Raising Arizona. That's like more of like a comedy movie. I, that's one of my favorite films with Nick Cage. And it, this movie more so than any of my, any other film I've seen with him met him in the middle. Yeah, like, his intensity. Yeah, was matched by this. Film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was a good film for him because it's a fucking intense film. Yeah. We were just talking about cult film. This is a cult film. Yeah. A cult, you know, takes his wife and. Her name is Mandy. <laughs> yeah, and, the eponymous Mandy. Yeah, and uh, they kill uh, Mandy, and it's basically kind of a revenge film where he goes out and, and tries to get all of them back, I guess. But m- my favorite scene of the film is they have him tied up, and he watches Mandy die. It's it's horrifying. It's horrifying. It's scary. But what I like a lot about horror films is I'm you know kind of an emotional person, and I love emotional films. You really feel for him in that moment. Do. I do remember the music kind of like swelling and like you there, you see his face. And, and even his cage, yeah. his quote unquote cage rage. And I want to use, usually I do laugh at his cage rage. Yeah. But in this film, he, it's so sad. His well, they set up they that. set up his relationship with Mandy so well. Like they are a good couple. They're a couple that you want to root for. Like mm-hmm. you, they seem very natural with each other. And um, so you're kind of like on their side. So when something happens to Mandy, you actually care and yeah. you agree like you're on Nick Cage's side yeah. when that happens. And again, another thing I'd like to point out for this, as with Cam, love a horror color. movie with bright colors. Color, color, color. We need more of that. Yeah. Like it's beautiful. Again, with November too, what I liked most about this one was just watch the experience of watching it. Yeah. Yeah. It was oh. the experience of watching it and it was the really intense emotion that it demanded from mm-hmm. you yeah. yeah i will say probably more so than any movie on my list watching mandy was like an experience for me mm-hmm. you it, know? i think more so than any movie i watched this year this was one that was like a pure movie and what i mean by that is like sometimes you watch like you don't think about it when you're watching a movie because like obviously 
watching a movie is quicker than watching a book, for example. Mm-hmm. But a lot of movies can be just books, and you get the same thing out of it. This ha- this film has to be a film. Yeah, like I agree it's with so you. visual. What you're watching is what you get out of this film. You yeah. don't. I mean, obviously, there's there's a very sort of basic plot premise that elicits a lot of emotion mm-hmm. out of you. But the reason it does is because of what you're yeah. watching on screen. The plot, I feel like, for this is secondary. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's I think that's an important distinction to make. I agree with you. Like watching a film, I feel like should be a mul- more multi-dimensional experience than just like explaining a plot well. Which is why mm. I like films that don't necessarily have strong plots, like Suspiria. Yeah. Um, and I think Mandy is is. I mean, Mandy has a good plot. Mandy has a plot that makes sense. Yeah. But the best part of the film is just watching, watching it, it and experiencing it. Yeah. yeah. Moving on to my number four film then, and my number four film is Halloween. <gasps> Directed by David Gordon Green and written by Danny McBride, which when I found that out, I was blown away that mm-hmm. Danny McBride wrote, wrote this film. I won't go too much into this. Is this year's it? Surprisingly divisive. I would have never thought there would be Halloween fans that didn't enjoy this movie, but apparently there are. People love to hate. People are. There's a lot of haters out there. When I was talking about Strangers Pray at Night the other night, uh, before on my honorable mentions, I was like, there's a scene in this film where it's so kinetic and so like action-packed and so crazy that's like this whole film essentially and particular uh a scene that always stands out to me is when uh uh, michael kind of gets out and he's just going house to house and the camera's just moving it's a continuous shot he's going house to house just wrecking people's shit and i was just like (laughs) oh my god i love this fucking film this film yeah i agree when we saw this film it was probably in my top five experiences of like I love being a horror fan. Yeah. I love this shit. Like yeah. when they started playing the music, when he put the fucking mask yeah. on, you're just like, let's do this. It and was now, so fun and exciting. It is know? like, it's fan service Like Who they cares? know we want to see it, but I was having such a great time watching <laughs> yeah. this film. I mean, this film, you know, there's some social commentary. It doesn't have like something super deep to say about society though. I mean, it is just a Halloween film and a Halloween film done right. But I almost like that too, because as much as we talk about horror films with social commentaries, I also appreciate horror films that are like, oh yeah, horror films are supposed to fucking scare you and that's what I'm going to do. And be fun. Yeah. And this movie is super fun. Yeah. Uh, My biggest gripe with this film was uh, the, the Dr. Loomis replacement character. And I thought his, (laughs) I thought his scenes were a little weak and I, you know, I, Dr. Loomis and all of his contemporaries have always sucked. Yeah. Okay. Please. The original Halloween, Dr. Loomis is a total boss. In I that hate film. him. <laughs> but he's the worst part. Now, but other than that, you know, the scenes with him kind of do bog down a little bit. I thought this is not what the rest of this film has been like. The rest of the movie is so action packed, so scary. There are scenes that'll make you jump out of your seat. There are scenes that'll make you go like you'll see him in the background and be like, no, 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 there don't are do scenes it. Scenes that make you go, huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is just kind of like. Again, call it fan service, call it like, you know, scare salad. I don't care. Scare salad, that's a new one. Yeah, that is, <laughs> you know, I heard, I think I saw that on a message board or something. But It was like a Reddit, like neckbeard. Beard. Yeah, this is just, this is just scare salad. You don't know what you're talking about. You think this film's good? But um, yeah, it just had everything I want out of a movie like a film experience going to the theater to be scared it just had everything fucking popcorn yeah yeah like i I think um of the films i saw in theater this year halloween was like my favorite film experience yeah yeah yeah. it was just it was close to there yeah it was close to there for me i just had a great time had a great time seeing it with friends too so yeah anyway yeah that's my number four my number four 
is Unsane. Woo! Woo! An American film directed by Steven Soderbergh and starring Claire Foy and Joshua Leonard. This is a film about a woman who is committed to a mental institution against her will. And while she is at the mental institution, finds that one of her caregivers is somebody who like used to stalk well, her. Well, and so the reason she's at the mental institution is she's getting therapy about yes. the stalker. And she says, well, I have thought about committing suicide before but they kind of goad her into saying they do they do there and so it is a little bit there's like a plot line in this film where it's like oh this hospital is just trying to get money and get people you know committed for money and stuff so i thought that was really interesting too i just wanted to mention that yeah because there's basically two plot lines one is that like you think the hospital is just committing people for money and there's a jay farrow i believe Mm -hmm. character who reveals kind of that plot point to yeah to clarify but then fun character yeah. yeah But then the other end of it is that she sees her stalker there and he has gotten a job as an orderly, basically. And everyone was like, that's not him, dude. Like, you're just crazy. I think, again, going back to like horror movies talking about society and stuff, you could read it as like women not being believed when they talk about their trauma and when they talk about their experiences. You can read it as like, oh, a horror film about like a company that's trying to make money and it's just committing people against their will. Yeah. Or Claire Foy is is actually you know, crazy. crazy. Yeah. yeah. And and she's imagining this whole yeah. thing. I will say that the the film does take a stance on on these three themes at the end of the film. Like yeah. you do find out for yeah. sure what is going on. But I really liked that it kind of played with your expectations the whole time. Mm. You're not really sure what to expect. A lot of people have talked about the fact that this film was shot on an iPhone. Yeah. It is like the most, I think that's I the thing the film is most well known for. I don't point. really care about <laughs> yeah, that, to be Yeah, you can't really tell that much, I yeah, think. Yeah, like, it's 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 a very slickly made movie. I, it's definitely interesting. They zoom in on her face a lot, which I think is really, I think that plays well to kind of the theme of her, quote unquote, going crazy, that yeah. you get these close-up kind of sweaty shots of her. But I also feel like if you want to talk about innovation with filmmaking in an iPhone, just go fucking watch Tangerine. Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. I don't, I don't remember people having like creaming their pants over <laughs> Tangerine, like. Which, if you haven't seen Tangerine, it's shot in an iPhone, and it's about a bunch of, um, it's about like a sex worker who had just gotten out of jail, and she is like trying to find her boyfriend who has moved on to another sex worker and she's like trying to find out and i feel like if you're talking about like iphone as an innovation i kind of prefer tangerine because you can it has more of like the intimacy i would i would say with like the close quarters needed to shoot someone you know with an iphone whereas unsane i think plays more with perspectives and stuff and i think that is really interesting but i thought unsane is like more of a pure experiment like can i make a movie with an iphone it doesn't like make it obvious or anything i thought like it was just like the director experimenting himself, right? Like not being like, oh, I made this film with an yeah. iPhone. It's more like, oh, let's see if I can make this film yeah. with an iPhone. Whereas Tangerine is like, feels more like a, a home video, but yeah. in, a, in a good way. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. but what I like most about Unsane, Claire Foy is really amazing. In She's this film. great. She this has, might be her best performance for me. At yeah. Least. She has the intensity needed to play a character who either might be going crazy or might just be dealing in a situation where no one fucking believes what yeah. she's saying. Mm-hmm. You know, as a woman, a lot of the horror for for this film, for me, comes from like, why don't you believe me? Why don't you believe what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I need to get out of here. There's no reason why I should be here. Mm-hmm. And I will say for the most part, for the majority of the film, I don't know about you, but I was on her side. I was like, let her out. You know, yeah. she's not really yeah, crazy. Yeah, me too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <okay>. absolutely. <laughs> but it was really entertaining. Uh, it was very gripping, and it, I will say most of the movies on my list I wouldn't say 
actually scared me. This one did. Mm-hmm. This one really did scare yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Awesome. That, so that's your number four, huh? Unsane. Well, just introduce my number three. I'm going to tell you a little bit of a knock-knock joke. Is that okay? Okay. Knock-knock. Who's there? Eric Estrada. Eric Estrada who? Eric Estrada from Chips. <laughs> my number three film is Mandy. Oh my God. <laughs> That was that. If for those who don't know, that is a line from Mandy. It is a joke. Eric Nicholas Ka- from Chips. <laughs> from Chips. Oh God, Nick Cage is like weirdly sexy in this film. I didn't he get is. to talk about that enough. He is. He kind of gets it going for me. But I just love that he he every single film he's in, he's got to have one bizarre line that doesn't make sense with that the you scene. know that the writer didn't write that but nick cage was He's like can like, i say this okay let me get this in here okay <laughs> so yeah we went over mandy I, you know I, again i feel like i'm saying films after you say them so i keep on yeah. being like yeah we went over this but <laughs> i do want to highlight something we didn't talk about one of top 10 15 favorite horror movies of all time is hellraiser I love Hellraiser. It's like just so weird, so insane. I'm like quietly judging you drinking this Bailey's over here. <laughs> I love Hellraiser. I love it. <laughs> and my favorite scenes in this film were the where we didn't even talk about this when we were talking about Mandy before, but these weird Hellraiser monsters that are on bikes in this film that oh. the cultist seems to be worshiping. Oh, yeah, totally forgot about yeah. that. <laughs> there's so, so much going on in there's this. There's so film. much yeah. going So yeah, the basis of the cult in Mandy is basically sort of exchanging something with these Hellraiser monsters for high quality acid. And that plays in... That's a kind of cult I want to be a part of. Well, personally. actually, actually, it's not high quality acid. It's actually acid that fucks you up too much. Is that That's kind of how they describe it. And I, at, I stick by my prior statement. A cult <laughs> I want to be a part of. <laughs> and at one point in the film, Nick Cage sticks his finger in there and like eats a little bit of it and sees like a vision of him as a cartoon person, which I thought was just so bonkers. <laughs> But um, this film is so good at building atmosphere and these Hellraiser monsters, like when they do this exchange with the cult the first time you see them like silhouetted in like this fog and you don't see their faces. You don't know what the fuck. Are they human? Are they monsters? And the only time you ever see them again is when Nick Cage is tracking them down and just killing them, you know, and there's so much mystery surrounding these creatures. But when you see them initially, you're like, what the fuck is going on here? And I feel like half of this film is just like, what the fuck is going on here? What am I watching? Yeah. I've said this to a lot of people when I've talked about this film because um, I was so shocked to see how many people like this film because it's so like artsy, I guess. And there's not too much dialogue. This plot's very simple. But every time I've talked to someone about this film, the thing that has like really sticked with them is like the way it makes them feel, how oppressive it makes them feel. And like, the crazy shit that's going on, like it makes these Hellraiser monsters, like the intensity of the scene in which Mandy dies, like the cult leaders, like the things they're saying and the way they say it and how fucking out there they seem. It really leaves an impression on you early on in the film that affects you throughout the rest of the film where you feel like when Nick Cage gets down to business, you're like, get them nick get them nick like kill these motherfuckers and you know yeah i don't always feel that way about a revenge film yeah and i don't think we talked enough about how linus roach as the cult leader yeah he's so repulsive but he is the quintessential cult leader too and as we said love a cult film yeah seen a lot of them yeah he sticks out in the top tier for me in terms of 
what you think of in a cult leader as being like creepy but also you get why people are following him there is something very magnetic about his personality he's also but when you were talking about apostle about like this cult leader who has some awareness for like what he's doing to people and some like compassion this guy has zero compassion for the people around him yeah and he is that cult leader that you think like oh this guy got in the business to like see what he can get from other people he is so evil he's very repulsive he's yeah. so repulsive he's so evil he's so pathetic too especially at the end of the film yeah. i just think you know this film is the best film i can think of the best like classic horror film is not even hellraiser but is um you know the monsters really reminded me of hellraiser and gave off that vibe but this film is very akin to the original suspiria in terms of it is a visual mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. What you see is what you're getting out of this film, not what you're hearing the characters say or not or what not the, the plot. plot. Yeah. yeah, it is a very visual film. Totally agree. But, you know, usually films like these aren't very well liked. But every, you know, I've talked to so many people that loved this film and that got so much out of it. And with one notable exception, I did know someone who really, really hated this film. So, yeah, that's my number three. Nick Cage. Please keep making horror films. Mom and Dad and Mandy, I love this year. So please do it. Please. I know you're listening. Um, (laughs) I am your biggest fan. You know, out of all the celebrities we've mentioned, Nick Cage is probably at the top of the list of who is actually listening. Um, So my number three, I'm actually really excited to talk about because I never thought it would be this high. But when I was making the list... And I discussed I discussed at the beginning of the episode that the more I watch horror films, the more I realize what I like in horror films and what I value. This is where that falls for me. And it is you're making a face as if I don't think you're going to expect this. The Devil's Doorway. Oh, yes. That is not what I was expecting. I know exactly oh, okay. what you thought I was going to say. <laughs> I, I thought I was, about, I, was, I was about to be surprised here. Okay, The Devil's Doorway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked this film when I watched it, but I never thought it would be in the top for me. But I've come to realize like, what I value in horror films is a strong perspective. And I think mm-hmm. that that's what this film offers. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, North Irish film directed by Aslan Clark, starring Lelor Roddy, Curran Flynn, Helena Barine, and Lauren Coe. And I did talk about it a few episodes ago. It's a found footage film that is a about two priests who go to investigate a miracle, which is the Virgin Mary who is crying blood, located at a Catholic laundry, which is a place where um, uh, women go to kind of live out their lives. Women who are unwed mothers, criminals, women with uh, mental disabilities, women with physical disabilities. And these were real places that have existed up until the 90s in Ireland and where women were basically treated like slaves. Um, They had to perform manual labor uh, basically for the crime of being different than what society expected them to be. The film follows the priests as they investigate this uh, quote unquote miracle. But what they uncover is kind of the horror of the film they uncovered uh, a lot of mistreatment and they uncover in particular one woman who has been essentially possessed it gets pretty dark but what i like about it is it is a scary movie kind of on its face mm-hmm. but it also i think has a really strong perspective again on the catholic laundry aspect of the story it is telling because aslan clark the uh director i think i mentioned she was an unwed mother mm-hmm. And she mentioned like, hey, I could have been put in one of these laundries and that would have been a really horrifying experience for me. And I I like that, too, because this is something I talked about with the witch a little bit, which is that like, hey, this is an experience that people have actually gone through. Yeah. 
you know, women were actually accused of being witches and killed. Women were actually forced into these laundries and like forced to do labor against their will. And that's what I like with horror movies is like movies that kind of confront things that actually happened and that actually affected the people who are making that movie. And I really like that. And that's why I liked Get Out, too, yeah. made by Jordan Peele. He was like, hey, like, this is something that's actually fucking, like, going on in the United States. Mm-hmm. So, I, when I again, when I first watched The Devil's Doorway, I was like, oh, this is a pretty good film. But then when I was reflecting and comparing it to other movies of the year, I was like, oh, this movie actually had something to say. And it said it in a really good way for mm-hmm. me. So... I really did enjoy this film. I wasn't into it as you, obviously. Uh, it's not in my top two, spoiler alert. But <laughs> I really did enjoy this film. I The only complaint I really had about it, the major complaint I thought it shouldn't be a found footage movie. I wish it hadn't been a found footage movie, personally. That just didn't bother me. I, yeah. I mean, I thought about that, too. I was like, sure, this would have been fine as a not found footage movie. But again, since I love found footage so much, I guess it just didn't bother it me It did make it so that there's kind of like a claustrophobic aspect of this. And there's parts of the film where that plays into it really, really well. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, everything you said about the Catholic-specific mm-hmm. aspects of this film really did scare me. And upon this is another film, like you said, it was on Pond Reflection that it really, like, did stick in my mind a little bit. It barely missed my honorable mentions. It's probably, like, number 16 or 17 mm-hmm. or so. But, um, yeah, I really enjoyed this film as well. Mm-hmm. So Devil's um, Doorway. I think it's available on Amazon Prime. I, it's not a very it's long like film. It's a dollar on Amazon Prime yeah. as well. I think yeah. it's a, a relatively cheap. But, I would um, recommend people to check it out. And, I mean, I don't think we said it, but these lists are very personal to us they're mm-hmm. not based on like quality we're not looking necessary. on yeah. metacritic and be like okay my film yeah yeah done. like i recognize that the devil's doorway wasn't necessarily critically rated very high but to me personally i guess what the director was trying to say just really resonated mm-hmm. with me and that's why i liked it so much all right all right so my number two as i mentioned earlier as soon as i saw this film it slotted right into number two hasn't moved from number two all year and that is insane uh, oh, film okay. you talked about earlier. I was like nervous about what it could be. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think you could probably figure out what my number one is for I, now. I've but... known what it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's not spoil the listeners just yet. I, You know, you did a great overview of Unsane, and I wanted to talk about one aspect of this film that really resonated for me. These top two films just felt like the best films I've seen because of my maybe my own personal experience. And as I've explained previously on this podcast, I am a disability rights lawyer. That is my job. And a huh? lot of part of that job is going into state hospitals where this basically this woman is in a setting that I'm very, very familiar with. And part of the reason why this film terrified me so much is, you know, we get a sense as a viewer that this is like a woman of sound mind who like said something wrong and all of a sudden she's found herself in this place. And I've talked to so many individuals in state hospitals and psychiatric institutions who are like, why am I here? Like. I'm not crazy and I'm just think like, well, I mean, you must be, you're here. Like that was my initial thought working. And as you grow on, you realize like, why are some people here? Like, mm-hmm. what is, what's the deal here? Like this guy, I have like a normal quote unquote normal conversation with him. We talk about like sports and stuff like why, why has he been here for eight months? And when I watched this film, that is the thing that terrified me most about this film. This is a situation that happens to people this could happen to anyone i mean you, if you go to therapy if you seek mental health treatment especially in the state of florida where we have uh, the baker act where you can be quote-unquote baker acted and sent to a psychiatric unit which could turn into against your will against your will against yeah. your will which can turn into you being sent to a long-term care psychiatric unit which can turn into you being sent to an assisted living facility and not being able to live in your own home i mean 
this is stuff that happens to people in real life. And this is something that happens to this character. She finds herself at this institution longer and longer. And then she realizes, oh, wait, the guy that I sought therapy for originally is here. Mm -hmm. He's taking advantage of the system. He's able to take advantage of the system. But I am constrained by the system. I just thought that was so terrifying and so compelling. And so I, I don't know if Steven Soderbergh is familiar with I don't know if the screenwriter is familiar with the system and has know someone who went through this, but it was so true to life and so true to what actually occurs to re- in reality to someone. And I thought, you know, where this film goes, you know, as it gets more into the horror aspect of the more the traditional horror aspect of it, it like it's sort of a metaphor and a reflection of how society treats these people. You know, once they get back out into society, they basically chew them up and spit them out like you you as a person who is the same thing as if you go to prison as a person. If you go to a mental health facility, you find going out into reality back into quote unquote reality. It just is almost untenable after you get found into the situation. I just found this. I think this movie is so under heralded this year. People just know it as yeah. the iPhone movie. This I don't understand. I've, I've noticed that too. I was looking at some lists that were like best of 2018. And this was always kind of just like, oh, you should check out this quirky movie. And I was always like, no, this was one of the best movies that came out this year. Yeah, I yeah. don't. The, my number one film is going to be something that I think a lot of people are. I'm, again, I'm probably just giving it away by even mentioning that. A lot of people are going to be familiar with it. And a lot of people have seen it. I am certain that a lot of people haven't seen Unsane and you really need to check it out. And from the perspective of like, oh, wait, this could happen to me. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, from that perspective and just having, you know, again, my background and speaking with people who find themselves in this kind of situation and having that real fear that like, what did I get myself into? I just thought this movie was really powerful and really terrifying. The iPhone movie. The iPhone movie was very powerful and terrifying. <laughs> yes. Well, cool. Uh, well, my number two is Halloween. Yep. I thought directed so. Directed by uh, David Gordon Green, written by Green, Jeff Bradley, and Danny McBride, as you mentioned, and starring Jamie Lee Curtis reprising her role, Nick Castle reprising his oh, role. Oh, I, I, I should have mentioned. Nick Castle yeah. did a great job as, um, as James, the shape. James Jude Courtney did a lot of the stunts of the shape, but mm-hmm. Nick Castle was there too. Well, and Nick then, Castle's in his like 70s at this point, so I don't He's like, him. I'm still the fucking shape, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Andy Matichek, who played Jamie Lee Curtis's uh, granddaughter, has a big role in the film as mm-hmm. well. I just thought this was like a really fun film experience. Yes. I had a great time seeing this. I had a great time reading reviews about it, listening to reviews about it, disagreeing with reviews about it. Like it was just to me, one of the most fun I've had with a film this year. Mm-hmm. It's been so topical since it's yeah, been out. Like, it's, you, it's fun to you be talk involved to, with a topical film. Well, and you, you can know? talk to any horror f- fan about yeah. this film, and everybody has an opinion about it. It's so much fun. But the reason why it's number two is not necessarily because I had so much fun. To me, as someone who is not necessarily a fan of the Halloween franchise, and as someone who has only come to the Halloween franchise this year, I think that... Again, as an outsider, it, to me, modernized the idea of a franchise. Mm-hmm. It really brought the concept of a franchise into the 21st century and said, like, hey, I know this film came out in the 70s, but here are ways in which it's still relevant to us in the 21st century. And I think it did that with the uh, evolution of Jamie Lee Curtis's character, who is in Halloween 2018, dealing with a lot of trauma. Yeah, we didn't even talk about yeah. that when I brought it up. I mean, that's a great aspect of this yeah. film is like, what happens to people after they get exactly. involved? In what I mean, the slasher films yeah. are so traumatic if you happen to them in real yeah. life. This is this is the result. 
And I, I listened to a, another podcast. I, I don't remember which one that was talking about kind of horror movie tropes and about how we view women in each kind of decade of society is really well reflected in horror films. So you go from the damsel in distress to a scream queen. And now I think we're in a version of movies where women are more empowered and women are fighting back and stuff. And I think I love how Halloween took the original scream, scream queen, Jamie Lee Curtis. And now she's like a badass, like kind of she's fighting back and all yeah. that kind of stuff. But again, that's why I liked actually her granddaughter, because her granddaughter is a more realistic mix of like running away, dealing with this trauma and stuff. But like when push comes to shove, she is a strong character and she yeah. is able to hold her own. She's not just running away the whole time. Yeah. yeah. And, to, and you know, as a young woman, I thought to myself, I was like, well, I feel like that's pretty realistic. I grew up in a society where I felt more empowered than, say, women who grew up, you know, in the 50s and yeah. 60s and stuff like that. I'm not stupid. I would still, like, run away from a killer. I'm not someone who's going to stand and try to fight and stuff. Come and get me, Mike Myers. <laughs> but, you know, but when push comes to shove, I would like to think, like, obviously I would, like, try to defend myself and stuff. And I like how Halloween has kept the original aspects that made it a scary and film and made it a classic, but also kind of updated it to a modern audience, in yeah. ter- specifically in terms of its female characters and it was just really fun. I felt kind of corny picking it as like my number two film of the year. But hey, it's my I, number four. I yeah, mean, it's not I like just, I, I loved it. it. I yeah. loved it. Yeah. I I really had no complaints with it except for again the Loomis character. It was, was maybe the most fun I had watching a film this year. Yeah, you know, I, I had a great time watching it. You ready for my number one? Can yeah. you you know what my number one is? I don't think it's any secret to anyone I've talked to about horror films this year. Yeah. The way I feel about this number one, as I said before, I think it's on the level of Get Out. I think it's on the level of House of the Devil. I know this is a big buildup, but <laughs> the way I kind of rate films is that a 10, that's like all time four or five. I, I would have to think about it, but I think I probably have four or five tens of all time. And then below that is like, 9.5 or even 9.75 whatever that territory and this film is in that like crust along with you know get out and uh, house of the devil and the witch and things like that and that is hereditary the film that came out earlier this year directed by ari oster and his directorial debut and starring the incomparable tony collette who is if she She's doesn't get an oscar in nomination yeah. in the, for this film it is just a fu- I mean, Get Out didn't win Best Picture last year, which is a travesty. Yeah. Tony Collette doesn't even get nominated. It'll be even even bigger travesty. Um, it's also starring Alex Wolf, uh, Millie Shapiro, and Gabriel Byrne. All those characters play the family of this film. The main character, or all these actors, play the characters who comprise the family of this film. Again, I you know we're getting into films that are more well known, and I don't feel like I'm gonna reprise the plot of this film all that much but basically you know the tony collette character is like the mother and uh, of this family she's sort of the main character of the film and her daughter has like i believe like a developmental disability of some sort and well she has asthma well i mean i think she has some sort of like disability you know she's Mm -hmm. a little strange doesn't talk very much uh has like like a vocal tick where she clicks her mm. tongue a lot. You know, so the mother's always encouraging the son, played by Alex Wolf, to like, you know, take your sister out. And he's always, he's actually a pretty good sport. He takes his sister out. One night he takes his sister out at a party and she has an allergic reaction to something she ate. But this is occurring while she's like in the car with them, sitting in the back seat. They're driving home and she sticks her head out the window and gets decapitated by a, like this street sign. You know, the, from that point onward, you know, when the daughter dies tony collette's character the mother just starts sort of breaking down she goes to like group therapy of people who lost kids and 
one of the mothers there, like teachers are like, oh, you can speak to your daughter in the afterlife. Let me show you. And from that point on in the film, when she learns how to speak with her daughter in the afterlife, you kind of don't have an idea of what's real and what's not real. And the thing I love about this film, and you may laugh, do do whatever, but I think the only comparable film to this one is possibly The Shining, where you can watch this film five times and get five different meanings out of this film. Is can, Do you watch it straight and see what's happening as it is? Do you watch this film as like an allegory for family trauma, for like psychological trauma? Or do you watch this film as like Tony Collette has schizophrenia and what she's just like experiencing multiple personalities and hallucinating portions of this film because perspective changes a lot of this film. You get the film from the perspective of Tony Collette. You get the film from the perspective of her son. And you don't know, is this from the son's perspective? You're seeing something in reality? Or is this a hallucination of Tony Collette? Or is Tony Collette actually speaking with her daughter who you know from beyond the grave i just i was so blown away by like not just that aspect of the film but like sort of the technical aspects of this film the lighting the camera it all like everything was set up to make you feel like you were in a, a nightmare watching this film again i know it, it, i want to speak about the ending a little bit the ending's very controversial and i think it only like heightens what i'm saying about this film i mean you could read the ending of this film we're trying to be spoiler free, so I'm being very obtuse and vague right now. But you can read the ending of this film like five or six different ways. Like, do you take it at face value? Do you take it as an allegory? Do you take it as a result of like psychosis? I mean, I've watched this film twice and I thought the second time I watched this film, it only made it better knowing what was happening because I could watch it from a different perspective and just consider all of these things that is going on. And um, it's another it's a film where I watched it in theaters. It was great. I watched it on home video. It was great. And really, as soon as I watched this film, I was blown away by it, had all these thoughts racing in my head. It lodged itself in number one. And really, as much as I love Unsane, Unsane did not really come close to knocking this film out of number one. This has been my number one all year. And I just thought I cannot wait to see what Ari Aster comes up with next, because this is one hell of a debut film like we've seen. Uh, John Krasinski debut with A Quiet Place, Jordan Peele debut with Get Out, David Eggers debut with The Witch. I mean, where are these debuts coming from? It was outstanding. I just love this film. And so it's uh, it's my number one film of the year, Hereditary. Well, uh, thanks for stealing my thunder a little bit because my number one, which has also been my number one since I wa- watched it, was a debut film. Mm-hmm. A Quiet Place. Quiet place. <laughs> I knew it was going to be that. Yeah. <laughs> a Quiet Place uh, by John Krasinski, uh, starring John Krasinski, Emily Blunt, Millicent Simmons, and Noah Jupe, who were the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, we kind of already talked about the plot, which is that they are in an apocalypse situation where they have survived an attack of kind of these alien creatures that hunt by sound. At the very beginning of the film, they actually lose their youngest son, yeah. who finds a toy that makes noise, and he is kind of stolen um, he's taken by these creatures and the... presumably killed. Yeah. Right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, and then the <laughs> not the, just kidnapped. Yeah. The daughter, um, Millicent, feels really guilty about this because she saw him take the toy and she thinks that she could have stopped him. And her guilt kind of like plays out throughout the rest of the film. What really captured me about this film is kind of twofold. Number one, obviously, the shtick of everyone having to be quiet. It's a very quiet film. Not a lot of dialogue. Mm-hmm. The experience of seeing it in the theaters when we all were being like very quiet watching this very intense film. I was so tense the entire time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was kind of curled up into a ball and every when you're in that setting, every little noise makes you jump. 
And I think this was honestly, I don't think I've ever felt more tense watching a film Mm. and like wondering what was going to come next. Um, But the next thing I want to talk about is something that has actually been criticized about the film, which is that it's essentially about a family that is trying to survive together. And Emily Blunt's character becomes pregnant. Yeah. And that's like... That is my biggest criticism. Huge sticking point for people. But here is my thing. I think what the film is about is that are we trying to survive and just get by? Or are we trying to maintain a sense of like normal society? Mm -hmm. And I think that the perspective that the film takes is that we're not only surviving, we're trying to thrive. We're trying to have the life that we want it to have, which includes like having a family and i also think a lot of the backlash against that decision in the film ends up being a little bit gendered what was emily bunt's character thank you yeah obviously it was like blah 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 it's like uh takes you to tango and people were like you know didn't they have condoms or whatever like this and i'm like well first of all when you're in a stressful situation and when you're in like a tense situation and you're looking for comfort and stuff like honestly sex is like one of the Mm -hmm. first things that people turn to to comfort each other and to feel close with one another i don't think that that you know people who are arguing that they should just have stopped having sex i'm like that's not realistic (laughs) you know come on we're human beings yeah i I just feel like the way i viewed the film was that this was a family that was trying to maintain a sense of normalcy and was trying to kind of continue adding to like the future society that they wanted to see for their kids and that included like building up the family and stuff like that I think the way that they dealt with the birth of their new child and the way they dealt with their new baby after he was born provided some like really great scenes, you know, for the film. And in general, I just really love films that are about families, whether they're hereditary, which is about a very dysfunctional family and which is about general generational trauma. The Witch, I would say, which is my favorite horror film of all time, is about a family. And that's kind of just something I'm really interested in. Like, how can families help each other in in, in times of trauma? And how do families harm each other in, in times yeah. of trauma? I think that this family had a lot going for them. Obviously, they all knew American Sign Language, which helped them because they could effectively communicate while still being quiet. But obviously, they also faced a lot of hardship. They lost their son. They mm-hmm. added a new member to their family. But through it all, I think that they took the most realistic path that any of us would have taken in those yeah. circumstances. And I really, I just really, really got me, you it's, know? Well, it's an interesting criticism of the film because it was obviously a very deliberate choice mm-hmm. by the director, John Krasinski, to like add this aspect of the film. So, it's you a know, major plot point that she's pregnant. Yeah, and that she it's has not to give like, birth in quiet. It's not it's just not like, like a oh, dumb yeah, thing that yeah. slipped in. The, and so obviously he's trying to say something yeah. about by adding this in the film. And I think, yeah, why would you have a kid? My thought was like, you know, if I was in that situation, I wouldn't have a kid. But obviously putting that in the film was to make a bigger point. And I think what you said, I'd never thought of it like that. So that's a very interesting point. Like, yeah, I want to have a sense of normalcy. I want to move on with my life. Well, and also, like, just the fact that people are so high and mighty about what they would do in that situation and stuff. But, like, at the core, human beings have, like, a natural inclination to want to reproduce and like want to continue yeah and so i thought that that was kind of the most realistic thing that could have happened couldn't they find a condom oh bitch they could barely find food so (laughs) i actually don't know if they could (laughs) that kid was freaking out when he found a toy like (laughs) a toy so um i don't know i just thought that was kind of i was really surprised at like that how that was people's biggest beef with the film that is like 
a dumb beef to have in that film. Decidedly dumb. But that aside, I really also liked how the film ratcheted up the tension as it went on, culminating in kind of like the last scene, Mm -hmm. like the very last shot of the film, which was to me one of the best scenes of any film of the year and i really liked it and you know john krasinski and emily blunt are married in real life and i think that they have that really comfortable natural relationship with each other but i also think that the kid again child actors in this film where are they finding these yeah they're so good it seems like they're growing off of trees now um so yeah that is my number one film of the year a quiet nice so I do want to point out, you were conspicuously quiet during my number one film. Do you want to move into some other topics that we have? My uh, notes. Yeah, consult your notes. Uh, we have a few other. So that that's our top tens for the years, and I think that was a lot of fun. Can I'm, we get into my favorite hater section? Uh, movies that we disappointed us this year? Sure. Let's get into the favorite disappointment films. I think we've gotten a lot of people people a lot to chew on in terms of films <laughs> that they could watch that were great from this year. So uh, let's talk about films that they should avoid perhaps i have one yeah <laughs> go into your most dis- what's your most disappointing film taylor <laughs> i did not like her i know <laughs> it was conspicuously absent from your list i don't get it <laughs> i know i sound so ignorant right now but as i was watching the film after the daughter dies i was like shit like up until then i was like okay like i'm good like this is you good. were clear i yeah. saw it with you you were trying to like the movie i could yeah. t- i mean you i oh, could tell course. that you weren't like going it. in there like. i was i was excited yeah. i was like this is gonna be a great film i'm very excited about tony collette and i would like to say before i get into this she's have fantastic. no qualms with tony yeah, collette she's fantastic yeah that's well, not I, I can't see yeah i wrote a post on a horror movie podcasts message board and we've had a few drinks tonight, and so maybe I'm not going to be as eloquent with my words as I was when I wrote this. So I would just like to re- read my review well, of the film. Go right ahead. Yeah, as long as it, this is not going to take you like a half an hour to read, correct? No. Okay, go for it. So it says, my biggest issue with Hereditary is the kitchen, kitchen sink approach with the film. We have a possession storyline. We have a family trauma and conflict. We have mental illness, and boy, is the way this still dealt with in the film a huge annoyance to me. And the way these aspects were tied together was really clunky to me. The possession aspect seemed really shoehorned in, especially with the symbols very obviously appearing everywhere, kind of cheesy, and with Joan, who's her friend that she meets at the support group. Who teaches her how to communicate with her daughter, correct? Yeah. Hey, I know we just met, but let's do a seance. (laughs) What? Who does that? Some of the visuals related to the storyline at the end were just laughable to me. I feel like the filmmaker wants us to question what the ending really meant, but since the is there a haunting or is the mom just mentally ill conflict is so obvious and tediously worked over... A too long runtime. I was just annoyed. Obviously, many horror movies are allegories for real world issues, but this one seemed so blatantly obvious that I felt it insulted the viewer's intelligence. I know I went a little hard, <laughs> but my thing is that what do you okay? What had, do you really think about me, Taylor? Okay, we had th- we had talked in an earlier episode about how and we talked about it with the Babadook about how there are, are films that come out that are like. Did you know that this movie is an allegory? <laughs> Hit you over the head so hard. This is one of those films for me. It's like, I get that this is about generational trauma. I so, get it. And to me, it was like, it's this, it's this, it's that, it's this. And none of those things are very well developed for me. And also, Tony Collette was great. Alex Wolf was terrible. Uh, okay. He had really bad fake crying, was, and that really took me out of it. He was not good in this film. I will say, so that 
the second viewing, Alex Wolf is, Wolf is still the weakest part of the movie. He's much better than you remember, I think. I think if you watched it again... Yeah, you're right, because about halfway through the film, remember. I started getting annoyed. Yeah, and you then, were... Yeah. That's how I felt the first time I watched it, yeah. too. I was, like, starting to make fun of him, and my brain yeah. was like, <laughs> oh, I'm so sad. <laughs> but the second time through, he's really not I as bad as you I will also say, remember. and this is spoiler territory, so skip ahead a minute. Okay, you've skipped ahead. <laughs> that really famous scene of her, like, pounding her head on the wall. Mm-hmm. That was cheesy to me. I really didn't like it. Like, there's there's some aspects of the film I think are meant to be really intense and stuff. But since I don't feel like they have a good buildup, to me, it was just like, hey, check out this, like, horror thing. We're going to scare the pants off of you. And it was just like, oh, why is she doing that? It's stupid, like, to me, you know? Well, I don't want to invalidate your opinion at all. Your t- opinion's totally valid. I respect your opinion on horror films a lot. You're wrong. It's okay. <laughs> it was just, the best this, film of the year. I have never felt more annoyed and also like i really did feel like this film insulted my intelligence to me it was trying to be highbrow and instead it was it was just like okay i i get that movies have themes and that movies are allegories for those themes like i'll be actually need to have like a story to back them up i would be interested you have to watch this film again obviously at some point you can't make me well (laughs) i'd be interested to see what you think after you watch it a second time i know there's been been a because everyone else likes it but me it seems like so i was like maybe i'm just missing something and i agree that i started to feel annoyed also while we were watching it there was someone sitting next to me who felt like she needed to comment on things and that was really (laughs) annoying me so maybe if i watched it so we now we know what really this is all stemming from (laughs) she was like oh shit (laughs) (laughs) well um i uh highly disagree with you i would encourage you to watch it again because even for me i felt after i watched it the first time this is the best movie i've seen all year when i watched it again i thought it was even better so i would encourage you to watch it again that's okay no it's okay for you to have poor taste in movies you know uh i folks me and my sister will not be having a podcast after this episode (laughs) actually so uh because of her bad opinions on the best movie in horror but anyway you want me to go into my most disappointing film it's a lot less uh controversial controversial it was the nun (laughs) so it was all right but it's fine that it's on your list so i watched this film thought it sucked listen to podcasts about it everybody's like yeah the nut's pretty good i really thought it was one of either second or third best conjuring movie and are people like what what am i people missing are so fucking wrapped up in the conjuring universe yeah and like it's not that good i'm not Why a do huge people fan like the Han- I, conjuring i do like the conjuring one and two but i i just like them you know i'm not like crazy yeah, about them okay. like yeah yeah um, I mean, but so that's not even why i'm so disappointed by this film this film had one of the best movie trailers I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. It was so good. And I was like, holy shit, this movie's going to be incredible. Like, the trailer itself is, like, leagues better than this film. Like, I could just watch, watch this. Just watch the trailer. Yeah, just okay. watch a trailer and have the shit scared out of you. This film is, like, the way you felt about Hereditary, but times a thousand. It's <laughs> such a hodgepodge of bad horror tropes. And yeah, like, it is a hodgepodge. You know, I agree. It's about The Nun, which is, like, the most interesting character in the conjuring universe you see this character throughout the conjuring universe you're like what the fuck is up with this thing and it's it doesn't this... satisfactorily explain no it. you yeah. get like 15 minutes of this character and you don't understand where it's coming well i mean you they explain it but you know it's not satisfactory at all and it's just a bunch of dumb horror tropes and i was just you know again i, I shouldn't get my hopes up based on a trailer but based on the trailer i was like oh this is gonna be really fucking scary and then i saw the reviews of it on rotten tomatoes i'm like well i'm still gonna see it it sucked. And then I saw people in the horror community praising it. And I'm like, what the hell am I missing? They all have very poor taste. Yeah. That's 
We have good taste. And that's why you're listening to us. But anyway, <laughs> Nun is my most disappointing movie of the year. Well, what was your favorite, um, quote unquote, bad horror film? So I feel like we might have the same one. My favorite bad horror film was Truth or Dare. Oh, that me too. <laughs> Truth or Dare. <laughs> so, ta- I feel like we talked a lot with Halloween about having fun watching a horror movie. This was that for me, but with a bad horror movie. Oh, <laughs> let me be clear. So this is the second worst horror movie I've seen all year. It's possibly like the second worst movie I've seen all year. And my girlfriend actually enjoyed this movie. She might be the only one. Our producer, Chanel, might be the only person that actually enjoyed this film in the whole entire world. So she's going to be really angry when she hears this, me actually praising it. But it was a lot of fun to watch. And, it was very fun. Well, okay. First off, I'm a big fan of any horror movie that involves a lot of teenage characters doing dumb teenage things i don't know oh, why me i just well. think it's so fun to watch shout that. out to the original unfriended yeah shout out to the original unfriended <laughs> but also like the biggest complaint that this movie gets is the dumb smiling stuff but it is even so that, funny yeah but it's funny but it's funny and not in a like oh god i have to laugh or i'll just be angry at this film kind of way it's just like oh this is it's funny so entertaining. Yeah. look i don't know why the directors added that aspect of the film into it but it is so funny <laughs> i the funniest part about it, this is probably by far the worst blumhouse film ever made in the what existence i don't understand what they were thinking in producing this film but I had a ton of fun watching this. I with will friends. say too, and I, I'm not trying to be like a truth or dare apologist, but the plot is not terrible. Mm-hmm. It's not like I think it has an interesting premise. It's a little. It, it just like drags. It That's drags. Really it drags. But it has like kind of a pretty satisfying resolution, you yeah. know, in terms of the explanation for what the truth or dare, you know, thing is. But like. The characters all fucking suck. They all suck. <laughs> even so, even you think you like the main character no, Olivia. No, you don't. She's a piece of but shit. But then she ends up being a piece of shit too. And you're like, well, okay, fine. But <laughs> it's so fun. I I don't know. I had a, I had a great. Yeah. It. No, I would. I wouldn't recommend watching it unless you have a lot of people with you. You're possibly drinking a few drinks, but it is really fun. Yeah, having some Baileys. Yeah, drinking milk. some Baileys, drinking some Mick Ultras. So, what are some movies that you wanted to see this year but that you weren't able to see? There's a few just films. List I, them. Th- yeah, I, I I just have three that really stick out i wanted to see pywack it really bad oh yeah that's been I can't on my believe we have never seen it that's been on my list like since the beginning of the I year know. and i never got around to seeing it i heard a lot of good things about it i really wanted to see terrified the argentinian horror film that's oh, a shutter yeah. exclusive it's i on just my, it's on my list but it was i so it for me it was between watching the last episode of hill house or watching terrified i was like well i gotta finish hill house and i won't get into it hill house so if hill house was a tv show or i was a film it would be like number three or four. I thought that, especially episodes five and six, mm-hmm. I thought they were fucking fantastic. I thought the ending of Hill House was very bad, but that does not erase how great yeah. the show was. And I'm glad I got to finish it, but I still wish I got to fit in uh, Terrified. And the final one is I really loved the film uh, We Are Still Here. Um, and the director of that film made the film Mohawk this year. Oh, yeah. Um, which got bad reviews, but I still was hoping to fit it in just to kind of get, you know, again, I just because something gets bad reviews doesn't mean I won't like it. So I was hoping to fit that in, but just didn't get around to it. But Yeah, I uh, as I mentioned, I missed Suspiria. Mm-hmm. That was... Uh... That's a big one. I mean, I, I should have seen it with you when I had the chance. I just thought it would be in theaters longer than it was. And it was not in theaters for very long at all, mm-hmm. which was disappointing. I also missed The Strangers Pray at Night. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the original Strangers. Probably, like, oh. the only person I know who doesn't, like, I love, love it. I, yeah. I, that is, like, 
one of my favorites. I love home invasion films, and to me, this is like the bottom of the barrel for them. So I guess I'm always like, well, it's not Hush. It's not well, this. It's not that. Hush is great, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I did still want to see it, because I did, I did like The Strangers, and I thought, oh, and updated The Strangers. Yeah. I'm interested. Oh, it's in worth that. watching. Yeah. I definitely encourage you. Um, yeah. And I also did want to see Upgrade. I never got to see Upgrade. That's great. That yeah. That is... Between, it, it was between that and Annihilation for me, and yeah. you know, eventually Annihilation was just the scariest. So, so. anyway, do we want to do worst uh, or is disappointing just going to be disappointing? It? Is it okay? That's fine. I just want to talk. I just about... want to say Slender Man was the worst oh. <laughs> film I saw all year. Just want to put that out there. Okay. I did want to talk about your favorite non horror films of yes. the year, real quick. I have. I'll just go through them real quick. I have five. Um, I tried to whittle it down okay, to five. I only have two, but go ahead. No, I'll. <laughs> well, these, I have three. I'll talk about this. This is not in order uh, all right. at all but they're just five films that really stuck out to me is crazy rich asians really Ooh, really love that I never film got to catch that. uh spike lee's black klansman i oh, think it's the best yeah. film spike lee's made in probably like a decade um maybe even more uh sorry to bother you by boots riley mm-hmm. was that might be my it's favorite adjacent i would yeah. say too as well yeah I, that might be my favorite non-horror film of the year um i just it's so weird but so like relevant to current times i thought that was awesome um isle of dogs by wes anderson uh, you're a wes anderson apologist i'm over it. <laughs> i i just really liked uh this film um i thought it was really cute and are you really gonna introduce fun. yourself during the next episode as problematic kurt <laughs> <laughs> okay here's my male feminist voice <laughs> anyway um i just you just really enjoyed it and my final film is the john cena starring uh the film that john cena stars oh, yeah. in blockers oh yeah i, I really, wanted to see that you so thought it was funny i thought it was really funny and i thought it would be very problematic but it was actually very progressive in the way it presented yeah. like parents quote-unquote cock blocking their mm-hmm. kids i thought oh this is gonna be fucked up but it actually like was like parents you shouldn't do this let kids live their fucking lives yeah. and had a great message and it involves john cena butt chugging beer i mean yeah. One more How could you one? not like that? Okay. I thought it was hilarious. It was my probably my favorite pure comedy of the year. <laughs> I loved it. Um, well, I only have three non-horror films I want to talk about because I mostly only watched horror films this yeah. year. Yeah. Um, but my number one was also Sorry to Bother You. Mm-hmm. I had some pretty disturbing imagery Yeah, it was it. like... All, it, was, it was horror adjacent. It was horror adjacent. Yeah. It was clearly like not a horror mil- yeah. movie, but there was like pure horror in it. Yeah, it yeah. was scary and it was fun and again i'm all about like brightly colored movies nowadays mm-hmm. and that is like and prime example i i could talk about this film a lot but and i don't mean to interrupt you during your segment i'm very sorry but i should have said boots riley is like he was in the band the rap group the coup he is like one of the coolest people he just was a keynote speaker at the uh, marxist center uh conference he is like a legitimate left-wing believer he was on bill maher's show talking about how great communism was one time i mean he's a well, very bill maher sucks but yeah yeah no 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 but he was like bill maher hated this hated oh, okay. it. this was like in the 90s and stuff too but he is like has such a unique perspective that you don't see in contemporary hollywood yeah. ever and i just was like whether or not you fully agree with what his politics are or anything like that you don't get a perspective like this in hollywood so i just yeah sorry to interrupt your list but i just wanted to put that out there agreed yeah and, okay, uh, the next one I want to talk about was called Three Identical Strangers, which is a oh. documentary. Have you heard of this? I have not. Okay, it's a documentary about this kid. He goes to college, and everyone, say his name is Tom. Mm-hmm. I don't remember all the names. Okay. <laughs> say his name is Tom. Everyone starts saying to him, hey, Adam. Hey, Adam, what's up, Adam? He's like, no, I'm not Adam. It, like, it was his first day at this college, too, and it seemed like all these people knew him. Well, it turns out Adam looks exactly like him. Then there's this new story that comes out, like, 
look at these strangers that, you know, maybe they were separated at birth because they were both adopted. Then a third kid calls in and is like, I look exactly like them too. So it was three triplets that had been separated at birth. And it's about kind of like the media sensation that like surrounds them. And you're like, oh, that's cool. That's fun. That's like an interesting concept. I don't want to spoil it because I think everyone should watch it. There's actually something really fucking sinister going on. And I will spoil a little bit. They were purposefully separated at birth as triplets and purposefully told that they did not have biological brothers. Um, so originally you're like, oh, how do triplets, you know, it's kind of like the nature versus nurture, like, because they are different, but then they find out that they all smoke the same cigarettes. They all date, <laughs> date women who look very similar yeah. to each other and stuff like that. Um, but there's something a lot more sinister going so that on. That sounds and, a little bit horror adjacent. Yeah. Too, a and by bit. the end of the film, I was actually kind of crying. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> their lives were ruined. <laughs> um, and then the third film I want to talk about um, is actually because I never thought I would like these type of films, but is Black Panther. Yeah. I, I almost felt bad leaving Black Panther out, but I knew you'd probably mention <laughs> I it I loved too. Black Panther. I do not like superhero movies, but I was like, everyone in this film is hot, so I'm going to go see it. And uh, it was really fun the soundtrack is really mm-hmm. good i loved all of the actors in it did not do not love that now my boyfriend justin when i sneak up on him sometimes uh turns around and shouts ah colonizer to me but, <laughs> you know <laughs> um but yeah i just thought it was i i don't know like i'm not a superhero fan but this film made me see like why people like superhero movies yeah. like i did i kind of bought into like the excitement and the hype and the kind of like the action of well it deserved the hype i mean it was a really incredible movie and i am superhero movies are probably my least favorite type of movie and i still enjoyed this film so yeah um but i had to put isle of dogs on there so (laughs) i couldn't leave it out how can you leave isle of dogs (laughs) okay this has already been our longest episode um i'm feeling very stressed yeah yeah my mouth is extremely dry right now i've had a lot of baileys yeah Um, so i just want to we'll wrap it up really quick thank you guys so much for listening to our episode on our top 10 horror films of the year Mm. i hope you guys check out some of the films that you haven't seen before and let us know what your top 10 horror films of the year were too if you want to email us your top 10 list we'd love to some same out on the air maybe we can learn about a few new films that we don't know about or if you want to if you just have top five or top three or you just want to talk about the one horror film that you really really liked yeah uh, just let us know because we love to hear from our hashtag fans yes uh we are all real films at gmail.com a-h-h-r-e-a-l films and we are a-h-h-r-e-a-l films on instagram and a-h-h-r-e-e-l films on twitter so you're you, welcome so if you want to follow our social meds um i post like really hot content on the instagram yeah. Curtis is less so on the Twitter, it's not I'm, as good. like funnier and more obscure on the Twitter. Actually, <laughs> there's more so. emojis, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And if you could please download our episodes before you listen to them, rate, review, and subscribe. We would really appreciate it, especially if you could leave us a review. Right now, I think we have one review. Thank you, really, whoever that was. It was Lindsay. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Lindsay. Um, but if you could just say like, "Hey, I love this podcast." Anything works. If you don't like the podcast. Please uh, well, don't review. Yeah, we don't uh, you, care about we, your opinion. Yeah, we can, uh, <laughs> you know, go over to a different podcast and maybe let out your anger there on theirs. But <laughs> thank you guys for listening, and we will see you in a few weeks to talk about another themed episode. Yeah, we don't. I don't think we thought of it yet, but it'll be a spicy one. I can assure you of that. <laughs> it'll be a spicy meatball. <laughs> yeah, episode. but anyway, uh, bye bye, everyone. Bye, germs. <laughs>
You're distracting me. Um. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Taylor's boyfriend, Justin, just gave me a delicious meat treat of calamari. <laughs> so I'm just enjoying this right now. <laughs>